welcome to Frivolous Gravitas. Uh, today we're going to be following Chris on some rocky road uh, of the, on the topic of relativism. Uh, this is not relativity as, say, Einsteinian physics, although that would be really interesting. And we'll uh, get to it in another episode for sure. Yeah, maybe we should bring on an expert for that that can just blow our minds. I you study know, that. Here's what we think. And then this <laughs> physicist would just be like, you're both wrong. And here's what's really cool about it. And then we'll just be like, whoa, we'll be like grade two children, like just astounded by these new facts. Um, but today we're going to be talking about uh, morally, so moral relativ relativism mostly, uh, as well as just the relativism that we find in our daily lives that uh, how things relate to each other um, in society that we see every day. And so we're going to be getting into that because these are, the it's almost a liminal space where it's very ripe for exploration so uh, we can uh start it off if you yeah for sure have somewhere to go and uh just as a precursor note too it should be said that today's episode we sort of rip up the script a bit um mostly due to the uh the intensity and depth of our last episode we figured maybe we should uh dial it down a bit and deal more in the qualitative just to make things a bit more relatable and uh, sort of cushion the blow, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we were getting pretty, we were getting pretty serious there for about three episodes, which, which was <laughs> unnatural. Yeah, <laughs> it so feels we, dirty. <laughs> we are. Um, this one might not be as serious, but we probably will get way too serious. Probably uh, so that is our penchant. This episode's brought to you by water. Uh, go drink water. And Tanqueray. Yes. Who does not sponsor us? Although Tanker, no, they if you don't. <laughs> would like to um, just get a hold of us. You know where to find us. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll accept bottles as payment. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way to monetize. They should just like give liquor out to YouTubers. <laughs> <laughs> it would make it more interesting. Or I guess weed in today's economy. <laughs> Canada's economy. Yeah, uh, but uh, anyway, I don't think they um, need to advertise. <laughs> So I was thinking to get started, we'll, we'll make some easy comparisons um, between moral relativism just to, uh, to slide into the, the, the hot tub, as it were. Um, to start off, I was thinking some simple ideas like um, I was reading a book by Michael Sandel, um, Harvard law professor, I believe. He also studies philosophy and things like that, but he, he deals a lot with the ideas of um, uh, economics and justice and just the philosophies of morality in general. Um, but instead of getting that deep, I was just thinking of going through a couple examples that he laid out in his book because I thought they were pretty, pretty telling of the way that we contemplate and process our ideas in today's uh, today's organization, social culture, society, whatever you want to call it. Um, so the, the first simple example might be uh, like cues and, and line jumping. And the idea or the premise to it is like, it, imagine if you visit uh, New York and you're going to go to the, what do you call it? The Empire State Building. And there's a lineup and people pay to get into the, to, to the observatory at the top for tourists or whatever, right? And uh, the idea is if somebody was willing to pay and had the, 
the money to pay, they could pay somebody to stand in line for them so they don't need to stand in line and then take their place in line and go up to the, the observatory without having to wait for everybody else. Uh, another example of this is something I actually did when I was working in real estate in BC is when they have an offering on a condo and BC Vancouver's condo market was obviously booming. It's one of the greatest places in the world to live. That's not just my conjecture. That's actually been, uh, I think they won it last year or the year before. Anyway, um, and basically before the sale goes live, people have to sit in line overnight and wait at the developer's office that's on site at the construction site to buy up units. And they're only allowed to buy up two or three units per person. I mean, the rules change for every, every different structure, but essentially you could pay a guy like me a hundred bucks and his girlfriend a hundred bucks to sit in line overnight. And then they come at eight in the morning or seven in the morning, they relieve you of your duty, pay you cash. And then they get to buy up, six units instead of just three because there were two people waiting in line for them. But the properties don't go under my name, it goes under somebody else's name. So it's very, very clearly paying somebody to jump a queue in line. So if you think about the purpose of the queue, it's supposed to give some kind of equality of opportunity to all the people involved, uh, prospective purchasers. But there's a moral dilemma in it inherently because on the one hand, you're saying the economics allows relatively that people with the means can develop a smaller economy of squatters so that uh, they can receive a greater benefit from the offering that's out there. Yep. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you, you introduced this, this book uh, by Sandel here. Uh, sorry, I'm just going to cut you off quickly. Um, it's all good. Before we get too deep into it, because uh, maybe we can table of contents this a bit. Um, so just for the record, I haven't read this guy, uh, although now I'm definitely going to have to read this guy. He's <laughs> one of my favorites. You definitely have to. So, um, could you, uh, and this is his book, which book was this? The, this I was just, actually referring to, uh, justice. What's the right thing to do, okay. which is a his 2000 lecture series his, and also the tyranny of merit. And what's the other one called? What money can't buy. Okay, so this 2009 book, which I guess he turned into a lecture uh, series. Um, but so could you, uh, in a couple, in just a short, brief thing, could you summarize his uh, overriding uh, argument uh, that these, that uh, particularly this book, Justice, um, lays out and... Yeah, essentially the premise is to articulate just the complications and dysfunctions of systems that already exist. Uh, he doesn't actually present a definitive solution. He, he presents a way of thinking about it so that we can figure out what the solution is. Okay, and the... This... So it's a lot more philosophical than it implies. Okay, and his, his philosophical argument is, um, does he have a specific... Um, yeah, like he compares John Locke and Hegel and, okay. and you know, Immanuel Kant, and he talks about inalienable rights and what's distributive amongst all people and what should be expected as an entitlement to being a human being, that kind of thing. Okay, so he's... Like, for instance, in one culture, it might be we in Canada say everyone's entitled to health care. No matter how ex expensive the procedure is, everyone's entitled to health care. 
but on the same token, we, we don't entitle people to um, like cosmetic surgery for bigger tits or a bigger dick or something like that's just not worth the public funding. <laughs> right. So he's interested. So at some point you have to make a moral conjecture and be like, well, is this actually health or is this? Okay. So he's interested in justice, which is a word that I feel like a lot of people uh, will misuse because it sounds so good but he does seem to be actually interested in uh exploring the idea of justice itself um and giving it a serious exploration uh, because it sounds like he's trying to balance the um the justice of the individual with the justice of the society um to some extent which is often uh difficult but he's exploring the whole space because if he's going through kant and mill um, uh, like he's playing with the utilitarianism, which you can rationalize a lot with utilitarianism, but if he's also playing with, um, uh, Kant or, uh, to Aristotle, then you're playing with different conceptions, which none of them seem to be wrong. There's just, you're looking at justice from a different perspective. And so when you put them together, you can get a better idea. And then when you yeah. put that lens over our society you can get a sense of that so does this it's very much like john locke delving into aristotle so that we can go into john locke's philosophy right michael yeah. sandel does his own philosophy and he just predicates it on a bunch of other philosophers from like in my perspective in, in my point of view my personal opinion in a hundred years they could be looking at sandel as like a current day philosopher it's just we don't really respect philosophers enough in this day and age to give them credit for it before they're dead well, we'll have to tell him you said that uh, yeah. so um you mentioned that he came up with a, a you're gonna go through a few uh examples from his uh work and the first one was a, a Q, where uh and you 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 mentioned a Q in vancouver uh, where you know you can you can game the queue. Um, could you quickly introduce some of the other ones, and then we can get back into the queue? Yeah. So the New York example was the other one where like tourists have to wait in line to get up to the the Empire State Building's observatory room. You can, okay. or you could. Another way of jumping a queue though is like with universities. <clears throat> if you're a donor, a big donor to a university, you can pay your way basically into admission into a mm -hmm. school even if you don't qualify on the merit of your grades or uh, anything like that, they give preferential treatment to um, donors and alumni of universities. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it's good because what you're doing is you're relieving some of the, the, the financial burden of the school in exchange for one small seat, which they have tons of because they're a school. That's all they do is sell seats. <clears throat> so on the one hand, you're relieving the social burden financially of because you have a really wealthy donor offering $500,000 to get in into school. But on the other hand, that one student is getting preferential treatment over all the people who earned their way in. Okay. So, um, it is, so you, you, this is just a different elaboration on the Q experiment, right? Yeah. I feel like another one would be, uh, that you could talk about would be nepotism. Uh, you know, you, why did you give this guy a job rather than the guy that, you know, needs a job more. And then, but then it, it, you have arguments for both. Mm -hmm, but that's then exactly can, right. And it gets worse I, and worse the further you go along. Cause yeah, then, but you know, at line the same time, politics and then judges and, and it gets really pernicious the further you go. Right. Right. But if it's just like a, you know, it's like, why'd you hire 
uh, your son instead of another guy. It's like, cause I trust my son. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the other side of it is like, I hired, I hired a known factor and you know what, what's wrong. It's, it's I'm giving another person a job might as well be. Someone. And it's like an apprenticeship. What's the difference if right. you for somebody, your son, an apprenticeship, because you're a master carpenter, why would that be terrible to teach your son carpentry and pay him? So to get to the heart of the issue, <clears throat> the, uh, it seems to me that the, there's two sides of this. You can, uh, so again, we have this relative issue. So I'm going to bring, keep bringing that in. I'm going to, as the host, I guess today, I'm going to keep. Yeah. You got to rein this. it in for me. <laughs> I'm just going to keep shoehorning this in because you have this relativism. So you have this guy waiting in line and someone cuts into him. It could be something as banal as ice cream or, you know, toilet paper yeah. uh, in our day and age, but it doesn't matter because on one side you have cheating and on the other side you have, well, work smarter, not harder. Um, and they're both right. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, because yeah, he is gaming the system to some extent. Um, but at the other side, it's like, how can I, okay, I need, I want to benefit the most from this. How can I do that? And you, you know, you put some thought in all the equations start flying around your head. It's like, got it. And so you, 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 you play it a bit. Now I had a, a rental guy who was just yell at his, uh, he would intimidate his rental, uh, the people that were renting from him and to be like, Oh, you need to be paying for this and this and this and this. And you're never going to have any like demean them and tell them they couldn't get any better places and blah, blah, blah. And all I had to do was just say no to him. So to me, he was being a jerk, but to him, that's just doing business. Uh, it's bad business. Yeah. Uh, and he had to pay for it because he died of a heart attack. Uh, so high blood pressure will get you. Um, but the we have this space between perspectives that we've been playing with forever. And some people call this justice because, you know, one of them is right. And I think Kant would say like, which one is right? And Mill would be like, well, which one is more right? Um, mm. Which isn't wrong because there is value to each one. Now, I, I tend to lean towards Mill saying, well, does one of them cause harm? Because even in the same situation, one may cause harm with different people and one may not. So you have to look at it circumstantially. So this is where the relative relativism comes in. And right. the relativism in circumstantial, because uh, Kant was very, this is the right thing. Do the right thing. The moral thing. Even if it kills you. And uh, even if it, you know, impoverishes you. Just do what's right because... In the end, well, in the end, Kant's thing came down to because heaven, uh, and, you know, God's will. This is what is intended. He based a lot of his stuff in Christianity, which, though seems wrong, isn't actually a bad basis for it. When we get the same with Locke, where he bases all his rights on, well, if God created us all equal and we're all equal as humans, then then don't we have all the same rights? Like, isn't this hierarchy of rights dumb? Which if you replace God with nature, it's the same argument. It doesn't matter. We're still born in nature equally as uh, just organisms. So the fact that God is a space doesn't really matter because when you come back to it, the morality, where the morality comes from, isn't so much as a result of the morality. The morality has issue towards that. So when you, okay, to, to, I'm starting to word salad here. So 
I'll bring it's it back. It's not word salad if it's coherent. <laughs> yeah, it, it was getting incoherent there. I use the word towards very dubiously. Um, <laughs> uh, the What I'm getting at is the morality itself um, is almost in the eye of the beholder. But, and I think that's where we are as a society, is that, well, if it's okay for them, it's okay for me, but if it's okay to skip the line, but then there's circumstantial stuff. So we always have to sit down and see. So if a guy's buying a seat for, you know, he donates $10,000 to the, um, uh, to the school. And it seems like, you know, him and his son gets a free chair. Cool. Now, the thing is that from the perspective of me, who was probably pretty uh, chagrined at having to pay all my uh, school in cash, I did pay in cash. <laughs> Just, I could have paid with a check, but I paid in cash because, well, I'm going to make you work for it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, payroll ladies. You, you did great. <laughs> but um, the thing is, is that that feels bad for me because of the in initial surface level thing. But even if that kid's getting a free chair at the university, I'm still benefiting from an increased, uh, you know, that expenditure and that donation uh, into the university. Uh, and it can be something as good as like, they can buy more security to keep me safer, I guess, on campus. So, you know, uh, but it's like uh, a bigger library would be good. A new, uh, a new search system for the library website. That's not free. Um, you know, they can hire better professors. Uh, who knows? But that money does go into the school. So the nepotism, even though it seems like cheating, uh, he still has to, it's, it's, it's still not a free ride for that guy. It's a free ride for the kid. Uh, and how he uses that becomes a different. So we have this moral triangle here. We have, you know, the, the business magnet paying the money. So he's, he's not getting anything for free. I'm benefiting from that payment to the university. I'm still chagrined that this guy, the, the student is getting it free, but at the same time, I'm, uh, have still having to pay blah, 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 blah. I'm still having to pay these exorbitant fees, but that guy's getting it for free. So obviously the relative thing between me and him is going to be at odds. Now, how he uses it changes the relative, relative equation immensely. If that guy goes on with his free education to give back to society, to start, you know, the foundation for troubled kids getting that need university or something, then, well, ethically everything was good. But yeah. then if he goes on to like party and be a general nuisance to society uh, or like he watched too many um, stoner movies and college movies, uh, then, he, then the morality and the ethics behind it were bad. So the same actions can lead to a different moral result, um, which is why this is so complicated. That's only one reason as to why it's so complicated. So where's the justice in that? Well, the justice is not always evident and justice is also in the eye of the beholder. It's also so. a matter of scope, right? So the <laughs> further, and I think that's really what you were articulating there was saying like what happens with that student like after he graduates and stuff because the grades themselves aren't free. Getting the admission, he still's got to graduate by his own merits, right? So it's not entirely a free lunch for him. Um, but it's sort of like Justice Kavanaugh uh, getting through school on his daddy's money and then, you know, 
sexually assaulting girls and having drunken binge parties with his friends and then becoming a Supreme Court judge because he's, um, we'll say, politically uh, compassionate towards... He's corrupt. I'm just going to say it outright. Yeah, he's, that's that's good enough. So, towards um, the... I can't really save that one because, uh, well, this is, uh, this is plan B for that student. He used it immorally and now then he benefited from it. So it comes down to the idea that, and I think we can't under, we can't really uh, ignore this enough is that to the rest of us, this seems like cheating. Um, not like, like almost like video game cheating. Like, well, he gets the cheat codes. Why don't we get the cheat codes? And he's like, well, it's tough. So at some That's point, it comes down to a matter of scope though, too, because like when you want to talk about the cost and social benefit, there's an immediate mm-hmm. cost. There's a bigger cost from the graduation. And then there's a long-term cost to a lifetime appointment of a Supreme court judge. Who's only 40 years old or whatever he is. Right. So like that's a huge cost that nobody could have foreseen when they were letting him through school to get daddy donations. Right. And you don't know if you, you can't really play minority report with these people because then, well, we're all capable of evil. In right. Fact, we all do evil. In fact, and you don't uh, know which one's going to be the next Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Bernie Sanders ahead of time. You have to let them play out their lives and get educated and figure out yeah. their own ideas through their Ginsburg education. Ginsburg was weird, though, because she got she died at like the right moment to make her a saint. And if she had died at any other moment in history, no one would have remembered her. Like that's period. not true. She's a, she was my foray into feminism. I never even, I never supported feminism until I was like 19 or something when she started fighting for rights of men, because yeah. to me it was relatively speaking as a man, I'm not morally against women having equal rights, but to have all these movements that marginalize me because of my sex felt mm-hmm. sexist. So, like, right. the feminist movement was sort of pushed rationally by Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the sense that she defended men and women equally for their own rights as human beings, just as mm-hmm. Kant would have. So, a lot of people wouldn't call that feminism. <laughs> um, but uh, it's but interesting. It's you articulate feminism well. as equality. Uh, it's kind of brings me back to um, class I had in... Uh, uh, it was a class on the history of New York, and they were we were st- reading the dating of um, uh, was these girls that were dating, and uh, they were going on expensive dates. These poor girls going on expensive dates with rich guys, and they were like essentially being like profiting from it. And this was a common practice; it kind of still is. But it was all about the women's perspective because we had the women's perspective, uh, and it was actually really interesting. But I was like, okay. What with the men's perspective? Like they're 50% of this equation. They're the ones paying for all these meals and dates and clothes and like these trips to Coney Island. But uh, the, t- the professor uh, who would always give me a hard time and thank you for giving me such a hard time. Uh, he was just like, Jordan, are you arguing in a, you know, women's history uh, class? So the class, the, the particular class was women in uh, 19th century New York. That was that particular class. Um, the topic of that uh, day. Uh, and, and, and I was like, you arguing for a male perspective in a women's, uh, in a women's history class. I was like, yes. So you're actually, you want to know what the men felt about feminism and women in the 19th century. It's like, yes. <laughs> and went, but only half of it. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> 
That's why I liked him because he was willing to willing to stretch a little. Um, and that's sort of where it becomes complicated. Is yeah, it's in that scope because without being able to see the future and know what the outcome is, you don't actually know what the cost is at the time of making the decision. Mm-hmm. So, but sort of getting back to what you were saying about finding what's most right or more right rather than right. actually absolutely right. Well, I think that's, that's the relativism I wanted to get into today. And that's hindsight too. Is like a lot of that is how could you have done this? It's like what? Well, how could we have possibly known? Well, you need to be held accountable. It's like, yeah, but like, how much? How much? And like, well, who appointed Brett Kavanaugh? It's like that person needs to be held accountable for Brett Kavanaugh's actions. It's like, no, Brett Kavanaugh is an individual who can be held responsible for his own actions. So we're like looking for the root. Like, why don't we punish? You know, uh, so like, how far do you want to? And so at some point, it's like. Um, Cause like at one point you have an immoral action and an immoral person or a moral group doing immoral things. On the other end, you have people wanting redress to such an extent that it in itself becomes immoral. Um, so yeah, we all have to pay for our crimes, but, but I, I don't really want to get into like- justice itself because that's a rabbit hole and we're going to start splitting hairs really quickly um but yeah, justice would be a completely separate topic because that lecture series is like 16 hours long so <laughs> i did it. i just wanted to use it as a <laughs> as a cursory example um but what we're talking about is like abject moral amor- amoral actions so things yeah. that we all agree abjectly immoral killing so things like murder everywhere yeah. in the world agrees that murdering people is wrong but different places scale it differently so like yes. a, a, a north a northern indian person from india might feel morally justified in killing their own daughter if their daughter sleeps around before marriage for example not to demonize them or their culture it's just it's just a one of many million examples death penalty of criminals in certain states what's up uh, Death penalty of criminals and political offenders in yeah, certain parts. And that's of the world. murder, but some people think it's moral murder. So yeah. there isn't even an abject morality to committing murder or homicide, um, I guess is a better word for but it. But without, like, death aside, willful uh, inducement of suffering. Um, so uh, not even like torture. Like, if you go and you just start hitting someone on the street, or you like, you know, you like just go and you want to cause pain in some way yeah that is like you're it's a malicious thing so and i'm even going back like to me this goes back to first principles which is pain bad and i know this is so simple and so rudimentary but this is kind of like this is kind of where i want to start is and i think this is kind of where bentham started even though he's like well then we just have to get rid of pain and unhappiness and then everyone will be happy it's like thanks new world yeah now it doesn't it's it's obviously not that simple because then please define happiness and then the greeks are like i've got a thing but nobody really liked it Uh, but um and then other people are like well happiness is just when i'm happy it's like okay no um and other people are like well it's a chemical reaction other people like well it's the absence of pain uh which i would call contentment um but the the thing is, is that death is pretty universally a bad thing. People are generally unwilling to just die. Um, but okay, then there's genocide. We're yeah, like so hundreds of thousands of people agree with it and 
you know, go out. Yeah, and- but let's let's keep it. Let's just keep it to the first principles. Death bad. We can all agree. Okay, but pain. we don't all agree. But <laughs> that's okay, yeah, but that's the thing. We can all agree that if we had a choice between life and death, uh, for ourselves, sound with a sound mind for ourselves, mm-hmm. the sound mind, uh, that we would choose life. And generally, we're programmed to choose life. Okay, so moving on. Now, pain, pain is something it's literally unpleasant it's uh, unless you're you know with of a sound mind and body uh even not we would generally choose to have no pain over pain uh it's like what about masochists it's like i hear those voices in class those like what about it's like yeah just keep going for fringe mental case yeah (laughs) outliers prove my rule buddy um the fact that we see them as like what about sadists and there's something this weird thing it's almost like the exception that proves a rule at this point and that's the point of having a word for it too it's it's like proving that it's an exception by having a word for it now we can elaborate on pain starvation it's kind of a form of pain um uh, we'll You're just talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, though, eh? Yeah, but People like... Um, shelter, clothing, companionship. So then we can get into, food, like... Well, like, we could just... Yeah, we can just go down the list. That's all um, it is, yeah. So, um, and Maslow is just... is almost like writing a... If I was to write a book about this, my, he, Maslow, would write my table of contents. But <laughs> um, the... Uh, but we... So if you're causing pain... Now, it's instantly more complicated than that because, like... Uh, you're playing a hockey game. Guy checks you on the boards. You have the puck. That Everyone in the arena is like, including yourself, are like, oh, that was a good check. Like he was legitimate in hitting you, in causing small amount of pain. Now you're, 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 you're in armor, essentially. Now, if you're a goaltender, you're just throwing pucks at you constantly. Yeah, 110 times. miles an hour. So like we have this thing. Um where all of a sudden it's relative. Uh, so you're causing pain, but, um, or you're fighting and everyone's cheering for it. Uh, so suddenly you're willing to endure pain for something else. Now, at no point would anyone claim, well, okay, now kill him. It's like, whoa, yeah. hockey game stops. Everyone looks at that guy in the arena and is like, yeah. dude, <laughs> what's up with you, man? <laughs> so... We automatically that's a good point, though, because I, I want to get to the hockey fight there, because if you drop your gloves, that's basically an admission, like an invitation to start a, a bare knuckle assault. Yes. Anywhere else in okay public, that's illegal. Even if you agree to it, it's still illegal to have a bare knuckle fight in public. In fact, there's no other sport which condones this. Uh, now, boxing is a martial sport. Martial sports mm-hmm. are a strange way, but hockey isn't a martial sport. We allow this. We allow this violence in a non-violent sport. Like, and I know we're Canadians, but like. <laughs> and here's where relativity comes in, though, because like, if you don't drop the gloves, but you are playing hockey, and somebody starts beating you bare knuckle, that's still not assault because you're both on a hockey rink, for some reason. Right. Even though he's not willing to fight and he's trying to back down and he didn't drop his gloves or whatever, or she it doesn't matter what the gender is. So, like, relatively, we're saying in an arena when, when you know, tensions are high and adrenaline's running, it's okay to assault people, even though you'll get penalized, suspended, and whatever. But, like, it's, it's socially, morally okay to commit assault on a rink 
against a defenseless person. Right. Now, not even that, but if you are not aggressive enough, you will actually be foregoing uh, your capabilities. So because of the way we're kind of built and structured, you need to be that aggressive. You need to push because it's not just like intimidation of the other team. It's keeping that, I got this, I got it. So you have to like be aggressive. And it riles aggressive when you get the, into a fight. Right. If, you, if you're not aggressive enough, the other team will, uh, it's like, they're not hitting. Let's just go. Let's get them. They're, they're, they're going to give in. They're going to fold if we push them. And that's the thing. You need to keep like pounding your chests at each other. And that makes for a better game. That makes for better hockey because, you know, the, the aggression is almost, if you look beneath the surface, there's this chess game of aggression and retreat and advance and you know hit him you have to keep the pressure up but you're exhausted you still gotta hit the guy and he's expecting the hit if you don't hit him well you know what that entire team's gonna notice it your entire team's gonna notice it and they're gonna be like they're tired let's go push push now get the get the forwards on get that first line out now like and that's part of the flow of the game and it's integral to it because it's just the way the game works and without it, you get um, because of like it's just, I don't know I, I, hockey is such a chaotic mess, but it's I, I love it. Um, now, this is also a very safe arena uh, to avoid the pun, but uh, no pun intended. But it's a safe arena for it to happen in. So um, you can see it as simulated combat, I guess, in some. Uh, uh, very abstract way in the same way as um, uh, football or rugby. Uh, or if we go back to something like gladiators uh, where you have this microcosmed combat between people and now it's sanitized, but it's sanitized in such a way that, okay, here's the aggression. Here's the way you're allowed to do it. Here's the way it's ethical to do it. Now you're allowed to, drop the fists and punch a guy in the face. But if he's got the puck and you grab his arm, his stick arm, two minutes, get out. That's interference. <laughs> but two, two minutes versus a criminal charge though. It's still accept. It's basically tolerated. Right. But if you grab his arm, a two minute pen- penalty for committing crimes in real life, everybody would just, okay. Be- so you hit a guy, you like, you literally board a guy. So you just go up, you cross checking him, you pat, you hit him with your stick and you smash him against the boards as you're like four checking. Okay, these are like if someone did this in on the street, they'd be like the police would be like, "Hey, guess where you guys are spending the night?" But now the thing is, you're 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 bored, you're you're hitting this guy, you're jabbing him with your stick, then then you grab his arm just to grab his arm. So you put your hand on his arm. Ref sees it, goes two minutes for interference. So nonviolent action is penalized while the. Well, well, the actual violence is encouraged. So this is a very interesting relative space that we found. So <laughs> the interference of like, well, he can't play the game. Now you've crossed into the border of it's unethical to stop that person from being able to use his stick. Whereas stopping him from skating by putting yourself, you know, slamming yourself into the boards. And so he slams into you and isn't allowed to go uh, after the puck. That's fine because it's uh, you're making yourself an obstacle instead of impeding his movement. So the ethics change based on the situation. And now um, if you do this something in uh, if you do this in a uh, car race, <laughs> well, that's, that's different. So we have these 
I guess this comes down to time and place when I think about it. That's the relativity, yeah. Yeah. It's so, relative to circumstances. As you said before, it's circumstantial. But I think the big question is in evaluating the circumstance specifically and finding out whether or not it's relatively permissible or not, whether it's ethical or not or moral or not in that instance is also subject to scope. Because if you look at the grand scheme of not just the game, but the tournament, there's a different scope to getting into a fight. If it's a five five game tournament, you're already behind five to one in the third period of the first game. Well, you've got four more games to make up that that loss. You might as well intimidate them some before the next game. So like, depending on the scope of the circumstance, there's also a different judgment at play in whether or not to engage in unethical or amoral behavior. And that extends out to, to our social life and our politics and everything with like money and campaign finance and there's laws in place to avoid campaign finance violations, but there's no laws preventing the U.S. Senate from insider trading, which is absurd because they're the ones that are overseeing the market overseers. You know what I mean? They're the ones approving the funding to the credit agencies to which leverage is based on. So like everything is inter intertwined and intermingled and to find out the cost of an action of a person, um, you, you need to see the scope of it as well. Like there's going to be an immediate cost, an intermediate cost, and a latent long-term cost that's basically unknowable, but we can project enough toward it to know that there's no reasonable grounds for anyone to commit murder. Even if they say it's to prevent another murder and they had proof the other murder was going to happen, it's the courts that do that, not an individual. You're never as an individual allowed to, to make that call and do it yourself. But in self-defense, you can. So it's relative. Right. If that person finds out that you know that they're going to murder somebody else and they decide, well, I'm going to murder you because you know that I'm going to murder somebody else, then it's self-defense. Mm -hmm. So like scope plays a huge role in the relativity of what we deem moral and amoral behavior. Yeah. Um, self-defense is really interesting in itself because... Um, it's defined in different places in different ways, uh, like even in different states. Uh, are you are you supposed to stand your ground, or do you have to uh, retreat, or uh, are you expected to def defend yourself in a different way? Um, but at the same time, um, I kind of keep coming back to Locke in this, where uh, is someone impeding? Are they so is someone putting themselves in a state of war with you? Um, and he gets into this specifically and he says war is just any state in a civilized society, uh, I'm paraphrasing, where uh, someone is putting themselves in a place to impede on the natural rights of others. The natural rights being property, uh, life, health, and liberty. So liberty, including um, freedom of speech and freedom of thought. Expression uh, and all that. So if someone tries to kill you, well, that's your right to live. If someone's trying to hurt you or your family... Um, which are seen as dependents. So your children, um, you, you know, they're impeding on their rights and your rights, uh, your property. Uh, so someone's coming and be like, this is mine now. Um, and this goes on the individual to the uh, national or international level because um, you have these people who have property. So if you are attacking another nation, all those individuals in that nation, their natural rights are being impeded. And I do like, I don't know if it's, 
like it's it's a uh, 300 years old but i do like the that idea of um the conflict as being it's not like just well they're coming to get you because it puts it in a very this is what's happening on a basic level when you're in conflict with someone uh in our society before it was just you know animals acting upon animals so you have an animal being hungry so they chase down that other animal and eat it that's not war that's just nature kind of doing its thing but he separated society from that because we are creatures who can be like i could just take that thing you know you the store owner's not lurking you, you don't see any cameras uh you're the only one in the store store owner's like got headphones on for some reason he's just like yeah yeah love the song and he's facing the other way and you're just like i could just take things but then you you think but i won't and this is the difference this is the morality thing you come and say i'm not going to put myself in a state of this so but then force we've delegated towards uh private actors uh not public actors sorry <laughs> that would be bad um but we've also made mercenaries out of like black rock and everything how so black rock sorry i'm not familiar <clears throat> oh like well even the marine corps which is it's just a company that trains military professionals and the government hires them they're not what? actually government yeah, they that's are. the core part of the Marine Corps. No, it's corpses in the body, the group of people that are the Marines. Oh, yeah? Yeah, corpse. I'm pretty like, sure they have shareholders. I'll have to check that. But No, it's part of the Navy. BlackRock is another example, though. Well, that's a, that's a Marine. Not, the Marines are part of the U.S. military. But the uh, there are mercenaries. Uh, sorry, private military companies, uh, PMCs. So, like... Um, a Honeywell is one, I think. Might be. They changed a bunch of them because everyone's. Well, they get sued them. and they change the names. Yeah. Yeah. So like you get like Raytheon does a bunch of stuff, but like a lot of stuff Raytheon does is really benign. Like the it's like they hire laborers to peel potatoes and make food, um, which are private military contractors. But then they do actually have those ones that go out and um, do military missions, which is usually bodyguarding uh, or. Um, intel acquisition or a person acquisition where you got mm -hmm. that and, you know you go in grab a guy and bring him back and be like hey so you killed a bunch of people <laughs> you've been setting up ieds um and so we're going to bring you to the americans what are you doing this well this is my job <laughs> yeah so there's this perfect relative position there because you have a person who was trained probably by a uh military um and then was released and then uh was approached by some pmc like uh blackwater who's no longer existing i believe uh well they just changed the name i think they changed Wa it. was it pink water or, i don't know something they, they got some weird names now but um they, they you get a lot of money and generally it's you could get a chill job but also, you could, if you're good at guard duty, but also they hire very, um, there's a lot more specialized things that they do that require that high level of training that a lot of these guys get. And, uh, but if you're that individual and that's your skill set, is it immoral to use that skill set? <laughs> and the other question to it too is, are the people who are like supporting the, um, the, the equipment and everything that you're using. So the airplanes, the guns, the armor, 
the grenades. They're not built by the defense contractor. Well, it's another defense contractor that builds it, right? In our society, no. Yes. So, um, again, <laughs> a lot of times they'll have like government um, companies that essentially. Well, it's like Raytheon them. and. Yeah, but in our society, you have uh, private, like they are private entities. They're not part of the government, like in China or something. Or mm-hmm. in, um, well, that's what I'm getting at. It's all that's the relativity at play in. Right. Uh, in so, Acad- Academy is the name of the first. Uh, a private military company founded in 1997 from a Navy SEAL officer, Eric Prince, and that became Blackwater and then renamed to XE Services, G Services, I guess it's pronounced. And then uh, it was acquired by a private group of investors after that, and they probably renamed it. Oh, probably. 2014 became a division of Constellus Group along with Triple Canopy. Like, they just keep changing the names and making they obfuscate their identity basically to the public but that's no different from any other co- corporation that gets traded publicly like you see well, yeah schneider's doesn't rename their sausages every time they have like a an outbreak of salmonella or something in there you know if maple leaf poisons their food they stay maple leaf any other right. company would keep their name but like you do get oh, a lot yeah. of like banal companies or like you get a new exec that coming in like we need to rebrand why because i need to make my name here and <laughs> and like it could be something of like a paperclip company or something well, that like, to me it, is the red flag though like when we're talking about is something just or moral if you need to change your name to have people forget the crimes you've committed you're probably doing something wrong yes but That's at the same my opinion but at the same time though we go back to the uh, person who joined the uh, the military in good faith, you're joining a free, uh, you're joining the military as a volunteer in a free country. Generally, that's going to be a pretty moral decision. Um, now, the Marines sometimes get people who are not like jail or the Marines, which do you want? It's like, you know, then they find themselves in, you know, Iraq being like, should have chosen the jail. <laughs> but um, the, um, this is so boring. Um, the the thing is, is that there, and we forget this a lot in our really actually quite nice society, is that there's a lot of people out there that will act very immorally without any care. And so defense is not a frivolous thing. Um, it is something that we have almost forgotten that we need. Uh, because while well, we're not attacking each other's country, so generally things are more peaceful. But like those hockey players who are hitting each other into the boards, we can't just say, "What if we stopped hitting each other?" And because you know you're going to get scored on. You're gonna lose I, I think to me the only reason you can come to that conclusion though is if your scope was more narrow than the universe is, than the world actually is, than like reality. Because from a grander scope, if we all agree that murder is bad, there should be no scale whatsoever where it's okay to murder a couple people just to show some sort of intimidation on an international level. A couple people dying isn't a big deal. They do it all the time, but they shouldn't. That that shouldn't be okay. That shouldn't be a way to express force to just assassinate Suleimani. Like, diplomacy should reign if we are actually indeed the civilized culture we believe we are that we believe we need to defend it against other people and impose our wills on them and our cultures on them. Right. If we actually believe that it should never be okay to have collateral damage. Right. Innocent people should absolutely never die unless your gun is directly on the guy who you're targeting. And he's the only one that's going to get hurt. 
there should be no reason to pull a trigger in a civilized country. Right. Now, that's not how war works at all, though. <laughs> well, past war is different from current war. We right. Have information now, and technology now to communicate with each other now, remotely. They couldn't do that before. Now, the thing is, is that there's a difference. We did almost fi- almost figure this out. Um, now, the difference between the allied armies of the Western allied armies and the uh, the Axis powers and the uh, Soviet powers were fighting a very different war. One, uh, many, most of the forces in that war didn't care about collateral damage or uh, force. In fact, they wanted to maximize losses on every side, sometimes including their own for some reason. I don't know. And, well, I do know, but I don't want to get into it. And um, the idea was that you defeat your enemy so they know they're defeated. And the Americans were almost the first ones to figure this out uh, at the uh, Versailles, pushing for, um, you know, redress uh, and something different. And the French under Clemenceau were like, taken for everything they're worth we won the war that means we're morally obligated to get this so but at the same time if you go to a diplomacy table now i'm kind of bringing this back i don't want to talk about world war ii forever um if you go to a diplomacy table and definitely the diplomacy table should be the first thing that you default to and it should be the 10th thing you default to but if you go to a diplomacy table without a strong military behind you then the guy on the other side of the table is going to be like neat i recognize no. that's how it is but that's not because it has to be that way well it's because we we don't decide to do it differently it's because we, of the mentality that this is how it is it's like when people think of the map as just like those are the, all the countries because they've been there since i was born they forget the fact that the map is constantly being rewritten over history yes you know what i, I mean like we have this bias towards our own present time frame that makes us very myopic in a grander scale. We can think think of a lifetime, but we can't imagine 500 years. Right. Like we try to, and we say we can, but we can't. Well, yes and no, but at the same time, you're, you're putting a lot of emphasis on the we, uh, and I find that to be a little, cause you can make a decision cause you put a lot of effort into, into, developing your moral character and i've done so as well um now if enough bad days in a row and our uh reliance on our moral structures could um degrade and this is fewer bad days for a lot of other people and some people don't care and there's a lot of people out there who do not like i can't just expect everyone on the planet to just be able to choose the right thing or even see the the righteous path. And I think it's disingenuous to assume that we could all just find the better way if we discussed it, because I think there's a lot of people out there who it's like, just kill them all. Well, why not? And it's like, Oh man, you're, you're messed up. It's like, but that's the way that guy is. How is that? But how is that not the same mentality of like 1920s physicists claiming that there's nothing left to discover in physics? Like it's just I'm not saying we shouldn't minded. try but like, no, but even if it took 500 years of you getting the short end of the stick because you're being di- diplomatic and constantly being nice to them, no matter what they do to you, even if it took 500 years, it would start at year one. 
but at least it would get there in 500 years. If we don't do it and we try and match their muscle, it'll never happen. It's just not physically possible to change that mindset with aggression. You have to show compassion to teach people compassion. Right. Now, my thought is that it's easier to find compassion sitting on the world's biggest uh, military arsenal. Um, Canada and the United States, well, NATO and America have our would win any war that could be started against them. That wouldn't um, be a win though. There would be no, it wouldn't, winter, but winter, everyone knows planet, that there'd be a if you attacked, <laughs> if you attacked NATO and America, no matter what, everyone would lose. So, and we're lucky that it's actually just America and not, you know, some other country because it's easy to be moral sitting on this high horse. Um, but that's why we should be the outspoken activists. Right. We're the ones that know better that should be telling everybody to stop, even like because we know from our high horse. Right. We're and the we ones can that can see, see over the hill. Like we're holding our nuclear weapons going, okay, third Let's way break time. break these. <laughs> third way time. We don't need this many. We still need a couple of them because like we should explode some in space and see what happens. And everyone's like, Okay, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like a fun yeah, But Realistically, we don't need any because no country wants nuclear war. That's one of those absolute proofs because any country that wins that, even if they win the entire planet and they take over the world, they've got a polluted fucking right. desolate now, wasteland. For I instantly thing. thought, now from my uh, position in my country here, I have the luxury of looking at a nuclear weapon, well, figuratively, <laughs> of looking at something like a nuclear weapon and being like, how could we use this peacefully? Well, how do nukes work in space? Let's find out. And like, I'm, I'm instantly thinking of some peaceful thing. I have that luxury. Whereas I know it's untrue, but if you're sitting in uh, a country in sub-Saharan Africa and someone, and you've got an AK going like, I can conquer with this. I can defeat my neighbors. You have that old, old world mentality that almost destroyed Europe. Um, and then in, and in the second time, it almost destroyed the rest of the planet. Um, and we all somehow almost learned our lesson. And we're we stumbling a lot, but we still have this position of luxury where we can say, third way, let's, let's, and I, okay. I just realized what I'm saying, because <laughs> this sounds a lot like white man's burden but i don't want to say it like that maybe like first world burden every perspective have. is valid so if you have a perspective you should share it that's what this i know is. but i, I want to i want to make it known that i'm not arguing this is a the first world has a white man's burden but it's not white it's just from our position we can go out and educate <laughs> now this is very taboo in our society right now for some reason but like we go and we, we started the UN and we have this place where it's like diplomacy, do it first. And we can have this mechanism to condemn, but it's really hard because with those without a moral compass, uh, and we believe we talked about this a couple classes ago where those people who, um, the, I believe I called them the um, agents of chaos, uh, who will go out and break windows just to break windows and cause trouble. Now I can negotiate with them, but I'm still of the opinion that I have to walk softly and carry a big stick. I'm not going to devolve to my stick, but um, 
I can be a lot more polite and I can, they can be a lot more polite if they can see something on my hip, uh, figuratively speaking. So well, with, with that though, you're not in encouraging people not to carry a big stick by carrying a big stick. That's what I'm getting at. Right. If you've got all the nukes in the world and you could do something with them and you say, oh shit, this is really dumb. Let me show you why it's dumb and let me prove it by destroying my nukes. There, even though I don't have a to. Train of I know if I need them, I can build them right. again. Now, you'll never there is them. a train of thought that um, the world did see what it could do with the nukes. And a couple stupid people almost did tip the balance. Um, but uh, <laughs> Einstein wrote a letter about it. Yeah. Um, specifically in like 1963. Um, but, and there was that one time the USSR went crazy for an hour and almost fired a bunch of nukes. And um, well, there was a bunch of time they went missing too from like, yeah. there was like three, I think, that went missing just in the last 20 years. Yeah, and that's always been kind of like, I don't want to think about that. But then in my head, it's just like, they probably dropped them and they fell apart. <laughs> but um, Soviet mechanics. But that's that's sort of what I'm I getting know. at. Because even the UN wasn't built right to handle any of now, this. At some point, we're, we're riding on faith because it's like, well, if we all start walking softly and carrying big sticks, eventually we're going to need to put down our sticks. And maybe we can just build something else out of sticks. Uh, we can just put our sticks down and we don't. No, that's what I'm more, getting at. We're well, still if, fighting. It, if America dismantled their entire military tomorrow, the next day after that, you know, the uh, United Province of China, <laughs> it will happen. So I'm, I'm, I'm not worried. Like, I am worried about us, but I'm also worried about those who don't, who are thinking, well, it's all relative and your system's your system and you have this diplomacy first rhetoric, blah, blah, blah. It's all well and good. But on my end, the moral thing to do is to protect my own through force. It's like, okay, force is a, to me, it's a defensive thing. It's something you do when someone screws up or, you know, they take the wrong pills or something, or, you know, someone who doesn't believe force is just a defensive thing comes to your door and says, Hey, how's it going? It's, but that's where it comes down to that relativity again, because that only counts based on your the smallest possible scope from the smallest scale of reference from a personal individual's perspective. The right thing to do is to do something that on a whole, on a global scope, makes our species self-destructive. Right. Now, so, so if we all if start someone... thinking about the species and respecting cultures because human cultures, regardless of what they are or what they believe, are important. If we say Chinese culture is worth preserving, even as white Americans and Canadians, right? like because humanity wants it. When we start thinking at that scale, we can start doing things like putting down weapons because we know they're stupid. Yeah. Or having so is... powers in, a, in a, a security council of international. Me, what if someone's just you know, Russia decides to land an invasion force in Vancouver and start heading east. Like, am I supposed to be like, oh, well, the most people saved is going to be if I put down my arms. But no, a nuke would have never fixed that, though. Hmm? A nuke would never have fixed that. Well, I'm not talking about nukes. I'm talking about a conventional war. But yeah, so what I'm saying is you can put down a nuke because it has no bearing in conventional war and everybody can put it down. And since we're sitting on the high horse and we can see over the road, we should be the ones that put down our nukes first. Period. Right, but if someone's marching east across Canada, 
I'm generally going to be it. inclined to defend myself. Yeah, and you and defend my yourself. country. That's a short-term thing. That's a that's a localized, independent event. Over 500 years, it will barely even be noticed. Okay, you have but, to look right now. The thing is, is do I just lay down my arms and say, "Oh, this is going to be the best for the in the like this is all for the best in the best of all possible worlds"? I'm don't well, how see... you fight back is different from fighting back. Well, yes, obviously. So, so but if the you had is... the world support because you were diplomatic and you've you've established yourself in in a way that you have forums for for courts and discussions that mattered or had bearing, Bush would be charged for war crimes. Mm-hmm. Russia would be invaded by the world for Crimea because Ukraine put down their nuclear weapons to the best of my re- recollection in the '90s because of an agreement they made with the UN saying that, you know, they'll have NATO protection if Russia invades them or, you know, and then they didn't help them. I think that was a deal between the Soviets and the uh, Americans where the Americans would take out their nukes out of Turkey if the Russians would take it out of the Ukraine. Um, Well, Ukraine removed all of them, their own nukes too. Yeah. Uh, And the only reason they relinquished their their own nukes was under the pretense that they were going to get defense of the entire world. But if the whole world is defending the whole world, suddenly you have no war. It's because we exclude countries from these. Now, I really do want to put nukes aside because it's kind of like, yes, nukes are not something, nukes are on an entire new level, but. should it be possible to mobilize your populace for war? War just shouldn't happen, though. If we educated well, people, yes. it wouldn't happen. Well, if you educated people, yes. But this that is that comes almost... down to valuations, like our comforts. Are they worth five people dying of starvation somewhere else? Right. You know, for for extra clothes so that you can go out on a weekend and spend a hundred bucks when that's the entire income of a family in Uganda, and they have no power. Right. Like, to give but them power would cost like two dollars. That but we spend a hundred on a weekend just drinking so that we can get sick the next day. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really find that. No, we don't, but I'm just useful. saying like but that's the thing though. A very we have common that in society and I try and do. like I can limit my consumption of certain things and pick where it's coming from because I've put effort into, you know, my actions need to be as morally uh right as I can make them according to the way I have seen to be best. At, and the at, same as method far as I can tell for that, but, we could apply to countries. Right. Now, the thing is, is that even within my, my own community, there are people that don't give a shit. There are people that like, oh, I don't care about my clothes. I like buying clothes. I'm just going to keep doing that. I'm just going to buy the new thing. It's like, yes, but the new thing is completely unnecessary and you're buying it uh, like there's a lot of dubious things along that workflow. So well, like um, cell phones is a perfect example. Well, that's exactly Growing what I'm thinking. Working of. cell phones, $800 pieces of like high tech equipment and just leaving them lying around because you got another subscription and a free phone. Like, right. So like for my, the me, the best thing I can do is like just use something up, use shoes up, use boots up, use clothes up until they're done, reuse them when they're done. Like a shirt becomes a rag, becomes a, uh, becomes like mop, <laughs> a mop becomes like, and then that becomes like, I can like use it to clean up grease and stuff and then use that rag to start a fire, a campfire or something. Um, so the reason that helps though, is because of the big game. 
because if everybody did that over time, there would be so little demand that they would stop producing it. It's not that you're doing it today is changing how they, how the business runs today, but your lifestyle over time is what affects the actual change in the economy. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to do. I'm voting with my actions in my wallet here, but at the same time, a lot of people just don't care and they are generally educated better than they were a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, definitely four, 300 years ago. And we still find that there is a, <clears throat> I don't want to think about that. Okay. Well, you know, what about, you know, your shirt came from this like Nicoladora in uh, Mexico uh, those women aren't getting paid in, like very much and they have long hours and it's barely ventilated. Oh, I don't want to think about that. I just, I, I like this clothes. It's like, yes, but like, where is it coming from? Like, what is yeah, the I think process? that's a false projection though, because you're expecting one person to know the entire system. And I'm saying all they know, but do, like, all they I'm have trying. to do is care about that. There's a court that one exists, that, that there is a bias, impartial, unbiased um, democracy at play. And then countries can cooperate. But as soon as you have veto powers and you exclude countries and you give certain people more votes and rights, it's not a UN. It's not a United Nations. It's just a, a hegemony nations. Well, Canada's like that too, where we Very much, claim yeah. to be free and we have these six different forms of citizenship, which, uh, you know, it's like, oh, we're all equal. But then in the law, we're in Canada, we're not all equal. Yeah. And the corporations have the most human rights. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're a French Métis uh, Québécois, you've got some pretty, uh, born on a reserve, you got some pretty That's good That's social cachet. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's odd because I do like living in a free country and I do like the ideas of, you know, everyone's equal under the law. Uh, unless you speak another language but so if i learn french i get more rights but obviously i have like more natural rights because now i can talk to another 60 million people without a translator like that's just literally something i could do after learning french but if that's learn... a social benefit too being able to communicate well it's just languages. yeah it's if i'm if i if i'm six inches taller then i can reach stuff on higher shelves that's just something i can do mm-hmm. uh or if i um uh, just, if you can see really well, you can hunt really well or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, we, I think we need to bring this back to, I think we're uh, kind of getting we're into gray just, waters and we need to bring it back to principles again. <laughs> what we're talking about though, is those principles in little blocks. Right. And the relativity is the fact that we're not looking outside of the blocks. The so, relativity aspect that I wanted to get at is these blocks are we're making decisions based on very momentary, small glimpses of a problem without analyzing the larger problem. Mm-hmm. So when I'm when I'm analyzing a chart for for currency trading, I start out at a weekly chart where every bar is one week. You see like 20 years worth, and then you see what it looks like. And then as you refine your resolution down to like a one month chart or from a one week chart to a uh, a daily chart and a four hour chart and a one hour chart and a 15 minute chart. Mm-hmm. Then you can predict what's going to, you can make an action now that's going to affect you in five minutes. And the way to make money in trading is you wait until they all line up. When your near term lines up with your medium term, with your long term, you have like a much higher than 50% risk of being right or wrong, up or down. It's a binary guess. 
And if you just take a whole bunch of those bets, statistically, because you're looking, you're starting off from a high vantage point, seeing what the whole goal is, and then refining your focus as you, as you go down in steps. That's how relatively we could make better decisions if we, we looked at the whole situation holistically. Sounds a lot like, um, like the problem is the aligning yourself with the lining. I kind of keep thinking of, uh, Jordan B. Peterson's aligning yourself with reality. Uh, and I also think it sounds a lot like, um, certain ideas of Zen or Tao that we talked about previously, where you like, so if you are anti, um, I don't know if you anti, if you don't like capitalism, but then you go work for a uh, financial firm, he's probably not going to be too happy. Now there is a place for finance. It's a lot of people, but like if you are ethically opposed as an individual to that and you dig, decide to go into that, then you're probably not going to be able to find too much happiness there um, given your relative position to that, those actions. Now, there are things that you could put yourself relatively towards that would be good. Like maybe you could go into um, something that would help the environment. Maybe you could, uh, there's a lot of things you can still do and not go into finance. Um, they, but at the same time, I have that in myself. So if I was to become, I don't know, I find baseball really boring to bring it into ultimate banality. Uh, I, would not find happiness or even meaning in playing baseball. But if I, if you give me a hockey stick, I'll just be a, uh, right as rain. But now it comes to me that if you align that, when you're talking about all these, um, uh, this hierarchy of scopes, uh, uh, that when they all align, then you're probably on a good path. And that tells you you're generally on a good path. And I feel like that's going to be a lot different for everybody because the path is going to be different for every individual. Um, but in these cases, I, we should be able to expect absolutes. Right. Well, I'm nuclear always... Nuclear war doesn't benefit anybody. There's not a single sane person that can make a rational case for a nuclear weapon. Even in defense, it's not a good right. retort. There... <laughs> the existence of nuclear weapons makes it harder to make the decision to go to war. And it's been argued that without them, we would have continued uh, doing conventional. Now we have war. a global assembly. All we need is a functioning global assembly. Right. We don't need them now, but yeah. they, they helped in the you process. You know how expensive war is? Like your people hate it. Right. It costs now, tons of money. They would much rather have a skilled diplomat go to a United Nations and say, Hey, us, you guys got really rich from slavery. Why don't you give back to some of these black people whose lives you ruined? Yeah. Like now, and then you can have a global discussion about the problem in the U S rather than a U.S. discussion about the problem in the U S right now. Would you say that now, given this all being said, um, that the, like as a society, I don't even think it's, if we all agree, I actually don't really see that as a 
ideal thing. If we're in a state of disagreement, it's like, oh, good. That means we're talking. If we're all agreeing, it's like, no, where, who are we going to hit next? If we're all agreeing, this isn't good. Yeah, um, but you can't but have that discussion idea, if certain yeah, people have more power to speak, though, than others. Right. So oh. my idea is that we should be focusing these moral questions on to now we have the not a luxury, but we have the privilege in our society. Yeah, in our society of living in a very individualistic society. And a lot of people see this as a very selfish thing. And it's the propaganda coming from the East right now is very like, oh, the Americans and Canadians are all out for themselves. It's just they're out to no, no. The individualism means I'm an individual as part of group. I'm individual in my family. I'm individual in my country. I'm individual in my province. But this allows me to make my own decisions with regard to morality. If I'm working in a social credit system, then I can't make those moral decisions. I'm literally unable to make them because the moral decision is already laid out for me. And I can't decide whether or not that's good or not. And my unhappiness based on my interaction with that doesn't even factor into the equation. I can't go with my gut feeling if I can't see it. It's like, okay, is this a good thing or a bad thing? My gut says, um, you know what? I'm just going to, my gut says that this is a bad thing. So I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to try and think about this, but this is an individual thing. We don't think, and we, I think it's wrong to assume that we can make moral and ethical decisions as such large groups. And the larger the group gets like a town council is one thing, but like, you know, uh, a giant, you know, group of 400 million people coming together to decide hmm, what's the right thing to do. And then everyone just, you know, this crowd just starts yelling at each other. It's like, but we've done that with surveys and we could do that, but we choose not to. That's what I'm getting at because we're so focused on this national point of view where we're, we have countries that make decisions. We should be focused on let's make an internationally assembly where we find out all the things that we agree upon like with human rights. So you don't have a native discussion in Australia about Aboriginal rights and a native discussion in the US about Aboriginal rights and then a native discussion in Canada where they're all trying to block pipelines and, and mining operations. They're all fighting the same problem and everyone on earth has a vested interest in them resolving it. Why don't we set up an international council about Aboriginal rights from imperial colonations, well, colonies? If I'm... Like, that's just common sense to me if you look at it from a world human perspective, as opposed to I'm a Canadian, I just handle Canada. Or I'm yeah, an American, but, I just like, handle America. I'm a Canadian, which means I'm also part of the human race. Canadian is just one level of that. Yeah. And I'm also like the most important level of this is I'm me. And the but thing we're is, not, is that we're if not someone attacking problems like that. We're attacking problems like we're just one country. Well, I think that's I think that's a thing that a lot of us are falling into nowadays is that you know we are finding a comfortable uh resolution to place our identity into and that resolution is guiding our morality instead of thinking about it um so you you find the group that you're you associate with or you find the country or uh the province or whatever in alberta here and it's a nice easy issue because there's you know they're right I, I'm right. They're wrong. It's nice and easy. I can go back to doing it, but um, I don't have to think about it too much now. But when you're on the resolution of the individual, everything has to be thought out. Uh, and you do have to visit all those other resolutions. 
But we but, should start from the highest one and work our way down, is what I'm getting at. We're not. We're starting from like us or one level above us. Yeah, That's I don't think it matters thinking. where we start. I don't think we can prescribe a, a, a strict uh, thought regimen to everybody. Uh, everyone does think differently. No, and but so what I'm just, saying is hypothetically in a better world, in the way that we tackle all of these problems and not just one at a time, mm-hmm. like how we actually fix things that are plaguing us, that's how you would have to do it. You'd have to look at it from a larger perspective down. These problems exist because people are narrowly focused. Like, right. They would but have been. Some of these problems are narrowly focused. Like I have been waiting in line for the washroom too long. <laughs> uh, well, what do I, what, like, what's a societal thing to this? It's like, no, I need to knock on the door and be like, Hey man, um, could you hurry up in there? <laughs> like, yeah, but that's a personal problem that doesn't actually affect anything. Well, it affects me having to go to the washroom. I'm a person. It's an issue. Right, an but issue that is a very narrow part of the entire universe. That's right. what I'm getting at. You're, that's not an issue because I'm, we're talking about humanity. Right. An individual's pissing doesn't affect anyone else on Earth, not even like abstractly. Why not? But a collection of people pissing requires sanitation. Right. You have to look at the big problem to realize sanitation is necessary for you to go pee. Right. That's so what I'm getting at. We're getting to, um, this is starting to sound like, uh, sorry, um, I've just straight up forgot the word. Um, That's all right. Like, I, I guess uh, what I'm this, saying is. This is starting to sound a lot like um, geez, Mill's utilitarianism, where, um what's going to cause the most good? Well, what do we need to deal with first? What do we need to deal with? What's the most important thing? And it's like, it's easy and it feels good to be indignant about things like, you know, um, nuclear weapons and injustice and whatnot. But like, I don't really need to care about those things all the time and every time and take them into my account. Um, And objectively, yeah, nothing matters, but I like, I almost the objective, the objective doesn't really have much say in my decision-making because I am living like I guess sometimes it does, but the subjective human part of where I'm working is generally my, you know, living space. So So, sort of the point of why I wanted to talk about this today is because we're not being taught it. This should be like a basic thing that we teach everybody so that they're, they have the tools of contemplating and thinking beyond Mm -hmm. just themselves in their decision-making. They don't encourage it though, at least not in Canada. The the highest resolution of thought that comes into Canada is our charter of rights. We don't go anywhere beyond that in school. And that to me is like a hubris in thinking that your culture, your society today is the apex of evolution. There's nothing more to know or see or develop upon in, in the country because we're pretty much there already with just a few nicks and tweaks. Uh, And that's what I'm saying is flat out wrong. Right. Which is why I like, carry a big stick yeah but i'm not i'm not arguing that with you what i'm saying is the approach to the resolution is more important than what you do today with your stick Mm -hmm. the fact that you're not making a stick factory is more important than you personally going out there carrying a stick and worrying about no because when i approached my life i found well what can i do what can i do that causes the most good and i decided that uh you know, everyone can say, well, the most good you can do is this, this, this. And I just, just like, okay, yeah, yeah, enough of that. What can I actually do? And I said, memory is important. History is important. 
mm-hmm. because absolutely like it doesn't matter how much you suffered or if you've forgotten then you're forgotten and i find that to be this is an important part of being person so memory but then because in my in my quest to uh remember you know everything bad and good uh that came before and to help save it uh the I gained the skills of being able to teach and now I do that which is good but if I'm uh generally I try and teach things that will so like I did approach it from this but I can't really get to a subscribed moment of thought I used a mode of thought that worked for me I know that other people are going to be able to use their own modes of thought and come to you know ethical and moral decisions i almost feel like it doesn't matter which road you take as long as it's a good road and the to me the thing that um will get me there is when i die will people still will people call me good and does this make me a good person if i do this and I don't. I don't really think everybody's thinking that way, though. But I think it's because no, you were that word that helps me. <laughs> yeah, but I saying. think we all should do that. But I don't think we're teaching that to people. We're no. teaching them that the law is right, and not that the law is fluid. We should be teaching people their rights under the law and how mm-hmm. to make the law better, not just follow the law. Right. You know what I mean? It's like not questioning the Ten Commandments. That's ridiculous. If you have a brain and God gave you a brain to think and he gave you rules and no explanation, you think he doesn't want you to think about them? Why like, did he make the neighbor's wife so covetous? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm getting at. Why I keep harping on the UN is because the whole point of the UN after World War II is to stop wars from happening. Great. And awesome. I just, I think it's a flaw to assume that if we all thought better, we'd all stop making mistakes. Because I think mistakes, that's crazy though. No, that's, that's not, no, I'm saying that there's, even if we all start thinking, we're not going to, we're still not going to have utopia and we're still going to have problems to solve. And yes, I think that's okay. Murder problems. They will be disputes over lines on the map. Right. People are, and I think, Yes, we like do Turkey and doing that a lot less. We're making it progress. Out. You don't the need warships. That, yeah, but the thing is that people are still going to accidentally kill each other and be, and we're still going to redress it. So yeah. even in this well-thought-out society, and I'm not really arguing against you, I'm just saying it's not a bad thing that humans make mistakes. Yeah, but when people make mistakes, there's already a mechanism for it. So our focus should be, let's make sure that mechanism works. Yeah. Let people make mistakes, whatever. It's just an individual occurrence, an instance, a happening, an event. But making sure our systems are functioning is way more important, and we're not doing that. Right. And that's evidenced by all the vetoes in the UN. You're not providing humanitarian access to Syria by vetoing it three times. Right. Russia. But <laughs> I don't need, if I. Or the yeah, Venezuelan. If I accidentally step on, if I accidentally hit the neighbor's cat with my car. I don't need the government to step in and mediate. If I go in and be like, I'm so sorry. I ask for forgiveness. I, I offer redress. Um, and they say, we can work this through. And, you know, we, we come to an agreement as free individuals. And But what I if ask, that agreement is coerced? That's why you need a court. 
Well, if it's that worse, agreement? then I go to the court because then I rely, then I defer to the Leviathan, uh, Hobbes Leviathan. But if I don't need to defer to the court or the, the higher authority, then I won't. And right. And you shouldn't have to. It should be so, there and functioning because that's just, how things work. Yeah. To me, a lot of it is I'll defer to it if I need to. But like the UN is not taken into any of my decision making. Um, but it shouldn't have to be because it's functioning. Once it's functioning, nobody right. has to think about it. Nobody has to think about where their palm oil is destroying islands in, in Indonesia because they know the UN's already protecting the environment and, you know, securing markets elsewhere to, to diversify uh, supply chains, for example, mm-hmm. so that there's not just one country supplying the whole world and then that country shuts down. So my thought is if I start if i decide to buy a bunch of land and build my own nature preserve do i need to go to the un for sanction to do this no you should be part of the un why should i even be part of the un because that should be in your best interest as well to not have anybody invade you right and so that you have a say in what the world thinks is human rights and it's for little things like garbage like where you send your garbage when china stops accepting it Like they're selling us all this plastic and then we throw it out and we don't have places to put it. And we were fine paying China to take it off our hands. And then they stopped in like 2017. And now garbage is a crisis worldwide because nobody thought to talk about it first. This is what I'm getting at. The system itself is dysfunctional. We should be, not everybody in the world should be. I'm saying everybody who's intellectually savvy or interested should be engaged in fixing the systems that run the world. All right. That's how you prevent war. A nuclear bomb will not do that. Right. Now, what happens if I say something like, um, you know, UN censures the Republic of Jordanstan for, um, I don't know, dumping oil sewage into a river that flows into another country. Uh And then they censure me and I go... Neat. Cool story, bro. Dumb. <laughs> and I just ignore the UN. But what over you, time, happened? that'll stop happening. Right. 100 years but, from now, 1,000 years, whatever it takes, eventually yeah. we'll have competence in government. Now, you're also assuming that progress will always fall forward. Degradation is also a factor here. In But assuming uh, degradation only implies that you might as well rush towards it so it's more peaceful. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it does. uh, if you no. know the end is tomorrow and it's going to be horrible and gruesome, you're better off shooting yourself in the head today. That's We have a different of, difference <laughs> of opinion there. Um, now, the, um, the thing is, is that if I see... I don't see... Now, if everyone starts asking, thinking right and you get all this convergence of uh, right action in one place and it's all great, um, history doesn't really show us that that's how things work, that we'll get a convergence of right action for a while and um, it won't last. It will slowly degrade everything. Um, they didn't have technology of, back then, though. Right, but I don't think we can just put all our hopes into technology. It's a either. big difference being able to speak to somebody every day and only seeing them once every three years. Like there's a right. big difference to having technology and not when you're talking about diplomatic engagement, especially with the whole public on social media, it's so easy to get a survey of what people think. Right. You just ask them and they'll all tell you 
They'll all right. post it on Facebook or something. So I, I think you're putting a lot of faith in humanity and that mistakes can't bubble because history hasn't shown us that that's how people act. We well, still will be humans is. even with all this technology. And we're showing that nowadays because we have all these access to stuff and we're being swayed by sound bites instead of the actual media. We have the ability to go out and get it. If we're force fed it, then we get force fed propaganda. But I think you're talking if, in like 1980s general generalities though. Well, we like don't. the difference now is we do have councils on drones because autonomous killing machines are universally Right. Objectively but in the 1920s, immoral. they had councils on bombers. They were trying to outlaw uh, bombers because they saw, well, you shouldn't be able to drop bombs from planes. That's illegal. Yeah, and they had the same conversation with Agent Orange and carpet bombing Vietnam. And it, right. it's happened over and over and over again because they didn't talk about it together. They and all. Not, right. And I'm not saying we're any different. Like we've but, done leagues before and we've done international councils like dozens of times before in history but they're they once a year though it's different from being no i'm saying like we've had online. they were we had internationals in the ancient world before uh that uh we had um there but was they had to physically travel though that takes time right this is instant they can talk to five countries in one day right now they can world. screw up instantly too <laughs> yeah, it will screw up, but over time that irons out. That's how we got the progress right. today. The reason we have LCD thinking that denser microphones. I'm saying that if we don't tend to this progress, it's very easy, even if a lot of us are trying with all the right intentions, we could accidentally pave our way to hell. And that's why we need to be careful. And we can't just assume that technology and right action are going to save us. We need to act as individuals towards us. We can't just right. say the UN will save it. And if we get too reliant on the UN, people become complacent on it. Right. Just... But you're talking about an individual tiny. No, I'm talking view. about entire groups of people becoming complacent and reliant on a situation. You see the American government. You have did... to do that though. That was the whole thing about our trust episode. You have right. to, at some level, let the professionals do their jobs. We right. Make sure they're doing a job in the first. But if they're not doing it, they're in a state of war with me. Right. But if they're not doing their job. Anymore. That is our current problem, though. Right. Not what so, the individuals do underneath them as right. subsequent reactions. It's the fact that the system isn't working that we should be fixing. It's the now, highest order of destruct. The, you see something like the American system, which provided a lot of, especially from uh, about the 50s to the 80s, which provided an unusual amount of progress in the world. And now a lot of people are becoming complacent and assuming that, you know, the U S is just, the government will just fix it. Cause it was just because it was so good before. doesn't mean it's going to be so good now. And it obviously is, it, it's doing some weird stuff, and, but it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Um, and you get a lot of, you know, Instagram stars and, you know, Hollywood people becoming presidents and senators and Congress people. And it's just, it's, it's, it's almost like a reality show now. And, the like as with every new technology we, there is a downside to it and we can't just assume that you know we have a technology now we can use it like this and someone else is like what if i just broadcast i feel okay you're going to use this to broadcast information well i'm going to use it to broadcast uh you know naked pictures of people and say you know just uh nonsense and people are going to more easily watch that so yes 
and as an individual, but as a, as a group, when we, we are generally tending to become complacent about something that we could use to, if we reformed it uh, with this new stuff, we could use it to do great good. Now, that's exactly what I'm getting at is that um, if we're not complacent and we're going to do something, the smartest thing to do is the highest order of repair. Right. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Like if we're going for those people who are dissatisfied and don't want to just trust the big black government, it should be theirs to also contribute to control. They, ha they should have the option to manage their own government should they be inclined to do so. And that's what protesting and activism is because on a small relative basis, you join a larger crowd, which is relatively more impetus for action from the representative government. More the point of it is to be a, a small relative component to a larger one for a greater cause. Right. So what we need to do is make sure that protests and activism work. We have to make sure that's, that's functioning. It changes government when government's not working because when that's a bigger problem message. than the government was that when they have an actual message yeah when they have an actual message not just to speak because they, they it's like that time of the month for them and every two months they need to bring out a new like a new thing to be pissed off about okay that uh if you took that wrong that could be oh did you, yeah i didn't did mean, you intend that i didn't mean it as menstruation that wasn't okay a, <laughs> i'm saying that time of the month being like i have a scheduled ritual routine frequency yeah event. it's time for the uh the uh the black block demonstration yeah like now we're going to be outraged about a pipeline now we're going to be outraged about carbon emissions now we're going to be outraged about taxes now we're going to be outraged you know what i mean like to me a lot of this is the gray area itself within relativism i find that a lot of the misuse of and weird justifications for utilitarian behavior uh such as those in like Nazi Germany. It's like, this is for the greater good. It's like, oh boy, the greater good. All right, here we go. It's going to be great. Who's greater good? That's the well, question. That's, that's, well, that's obvious in what I'm saying. But like, what I'm saying is that what no, starts- but what I'm saying is it's somebody that chooses. Who's greater good means it's somebody's idea of a greater good. Well, yeah, obviously. But like everyone's idea is someone's idea. Um, but it's not, a, it's not an absolute truth is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm articulating that over and over again. It's not absolute. It's an idea of a person. It's right. Which is like, uh, yeah, what I'm saying is that this is all negotiated. Like I'm taking that as red. Yeah. Um, is that um, the, um, where was I? Oh yeah. So you have this, uh, we need to do that, which causes the most good. It's a great sentiment. Um, honestly, it's caused a lot of good in our world. It's like, oh, wait, so we should take a moment think about what the good and the bad is instead of just being like, no, I'm not, I'm just not going to do evil. It's like do a little evil. Um, like I had to, when I was negotiating for my lease, I was generally acting. It's, I wasn't being pleasant. Uh, and I got a better deal for me and my wife for my rent. Um, because we saw that, you know, we weren't paying market value. So we're like, okay, I want to pay a more fair wage for my, my, uh, my, my rent. And it wasn't a um, pleasant thing to do. I had to do what relatively on one end of it could be 
sorry, not could be, it was considered an evil action. I was perform, I was tactically using um, evil in an attempt to get what I wanted. Uh, I was just being like, no, 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 no. And I was just, no, no, I'm just being stubborn and being belligerent, but, you know, not like willy nilly. Now, that to me is a utilitarian. Um, I'm still, he's still getting rent. I am paying a fair wage in my opinion. So you have this utilitarian thing, but then you can use the utilitarian F, uh, equations to do some gosh darn distasteful things. Uh, and when there's, and I think a lot of that comes out of, and I think we underestimate this, is that the effect that fear has on people. Um, you make some pretty darn bad decisions when you're making a decision from a place of fear. Um, and this is obvious, like the, 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 I don't even, I probably don't even have to get into it that much because it's just almost ad nauseum in our society, whereas you get, you know, we reference uh, the Germans in World War II, where they played on the fears of the populace uh, of some conspiracy or a bunch of different conspiracies, which we all know, we don't need to get into them. Uh, and we see that happening again um, in the States and in Canada, the Democrats are, you know, fear that the, you know, the Republicans are the Nazis and the, the Republicans are like, fear the foreigner. And you get this and people are making bad decisions from a place of fear. So, and I don't think technology generally is going to waylay fears when you can just make them up in your head, you make a nice good one. If you aren't paying attention to what your brain's doing at night. Um, but, uh, I think the factors that are influencing that decision-making as well are worth paying attention to. So when fear enters a ethical or moral equation, it makes it, it can, um, it can turn that equation, uh, into, um, that's the word I'm looking for it. It can corrupt it uh, in a way. In, and I, that's intended usage. So you get a corrupted decision, which cause, which co probably causes corruption. Um, at the same time, uh, you can rationalize some really darn distasteful things out of fear. Oh, well, that person's this color or they're short. See, the thing about that is always, it's always the case that fear is dispelled by information. When a kid is scared of like a monster coming out of the closet, when they finally understand and realize and believe that there's no real monster in their closet or like when they're scared, when it's dark, because mm -hmm. they don't know what's out, what else is in the room. Right. Things like that are obvious examples of how to, how that whole argument about people acting just on fear can't be resolved and how it's just human nature. If you teach them, that's all gone. Right. Nobody wants to be afraid. They much prefer knowledge. So even if they're, they're, um, like hesitant or resistant to being taught, even if you have to force feed it to them, they'll still be better off. Certain right. things, not everything. No, certain. they got those that are willfully blind. Uh, but like the cure is knowledge. When If there's a gun lying around the house and you need it there, you can't put it away and there's kids, the only way to, to protect your kids is to teach them 
about guns. Yes. You cannot just say it's a mystical thing. Don't ever go near it or it'll zap your feet off and turn you into a slug. Like no amount of that will ever protect a kid from, from gun use unwanted. If it's just sitting out in the middle of the room, then teaching them how to be responsible with it, how it's dangerous, how it functions, how to disarm it, how to check it. Right. Knowledge is the cure for fear. But if I have a child that's, um, if I have a child that I see has um, some sort of disability, uh, prone to certain uh, behavioral swings, if I have a child with, um, what do they call it? Like uh, something like bi- bipolar or something. bipolar disorder. Yeah, or mania. Yeah. Um, I might even make it so that they don't even know where those things are. Um, yeah, but that's not the point of the thought experiment. The no, I know, but I'm thinking that your thought fear. experiment relies on people to have all their faculties together and not... It doesn't, though, because if they're in a situation where they're fearful and they can either choose to learn about something to not be afraid anymore mm-hmm. or act on it and have it harm them in material ways or countable ways, measurable, like, they will always go to knowledge. It might take them until they're facing their fears before they learn it. But as Mm -hmm. long as the knowledge is always available to them, they'll never succumb to their fear because it's easier to know something. Right. Except for like something irrational fears. I know a lot about spiders, but still give me the heebie-jeebies. Now. Yeah, but the heebie-jeebies aren't going to cause you to to react, right? Yeah, they will. But like. um, But I mean to other people, you're not going to inflict other people as a response. Yeah, like. Need smashing device two by four smash, um, but like other people, yes, I I still think it relies a lot on, because um, people also don't act rationally all the time. Um, usually, <laughs> usually, uh, they don't. Uh, but even like the great us who pride ourselves on you know rationality, uh, we're probably just more we're probably just like five percent more rational than the mean um so but in our institutions we should endeavor to be 100 percent rational just like programming and computers Mm -hmm. nobody tries to inject some kind of computer bias so that your crap your system crashes unexpectedly you want it to just do its thing constantly and always work Mm -hmm. and then every time you find a bug you update it and patch it that's right, what a then, government and a UN and a, an international assembly garbage should be out. Um, so I just, I'm hesitant to hundred percent rationality though, because even me who does, you know, and try to make rational decisions as much as possible. Um, some things cannot be quantified still. Like but even things you can count can be irrational and rational at the same time. That's mm-hmm. why we were talking about the uh, the morality side of relativity, right? Because there is no moral right for one person to send another person to die in a known slaughter, but from a country's perspective, it might be tactical for a government to send a squad in to distract them and then pincer movement, right? Yeah. Come around the sides and get them from the back. But you're basically yeah. laying people out to die in the front line without now, telling. It does make it better when you have a volunteer army. Uh, well, still, nobody has the right to it, even if they agree to it. Like yeah. Kant would say, you don't have an, you have an inalienable right to life and you, nobody else can say 
you have to go here even if you consent to it it's you don't have the ownership of it to give it away it's just inalienable it stays with you your right to live you can't sell it to somebody or give or consent it right um that might be john locke actually i'm not good with who said what but it's either john locke or emmanuel kant that sounds like Locke. yeah but i read him like a month ago so i'd have to the intention Um, though of inalienable like using that term was to say it can't be taken out of the person and like transferred that was with the person no matter what they don't have a right to consent to slavery liberty is just an inherent right that's in them as a as a creature Right. So that's the founding fathers riffing on, on uh, John Locke. So, um, huh? yeah, that's the founding fathers kind of uh, doing a John Locke cover of the <laughs> album. Well, they bastardized it pretty good. <laughs> they did their best. All, I really did like what they did with the, um, t- they took a lot from the Iroquois, which I found was quite neat. The, I still uh, can't find any of that after you mentioned it. You should describe that. Or maybe um, we'll take a break first and then you can... Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't really, we could do another thing on the Iroquois. There's a lot of other stuff. Um, just the Iroquois parliamentary system uh, was. I tried. I couldn't find anything. I'll, on it. I'll just send you some stuff after, but. Um, like I, I found a bunch of those tree hugging things that just like, oh, they were so great, blah, blah, but they never yeah, actually a bunch like, of that. into there's... specifics. Like I like architecture and design. They don't talk mm-hmm. about like how they structured their society very it's mostly much. like how they structured their voting system and uh, parliament where they would talk, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I don't know how much, uh, cause we've been kind of debating for an hour or so. I don't know. Um, well, there's, there's some like news stuff that we could talk about. Yeah. Like the extraditions and stuff. I don't know how much I want to get into current events. I uh, I tend to come down on them. Uh, well, just generally speaking, if you had a tech CEO that was, you know, flies internationally for conventions and stuff all the time. Yeah. One day got picked up by customs in the airport and arrested. Mm-hmm. Are you allowed to keep them in your country or do you have to send them back to their country? Or what about refugees who get across the line illegally? Is it? relatively okay for the greater good of the nation to refuse all refugees to not be discriminate or to pick and choose maybe the pregnant women can come in kids can come in seniors who are going to die soon they can come in who cares like how to choose is all based on the relative scope that you're looking at the issue to me a lot of that especially with um political matters is that i a lot of when I'm asked about these things, I'm almost like expected to come down on it with a decision or a denouncement. And I just, I've read so much history that I like, just like, Oh yeah, that's terrible. But like, I'm not really willing to go beyond that and be like, Oh, this person is an awful person. It's just like, they're just another person in history that's doing awful things. And to me, I I don't really want to see that as jaded, but I don't want to just sit around condemning this condemning that oh that's good that's bad that's i don't find that to be very useful Uh, how is that not useful if we're not doing things that are rationally wise why wouldn't it be wise to say so because no one gives a shit about my opinion Uh, now the other thing is that just saying something reality because condemnation isn't a very useful action if someone says oh can you believe this this 
this this thing this guy did and it's just like yeah probably and um the then like but the question isn't this one person stop thinking about it as a specific case i'm saying generally speaking is it okay is it morally justified to extradite people to countries that might say torture them like the u.s tortures people we have an extradition treaty with the u.s the u.s says that they want to arrest somebody who's not canadian who's in canada they can force you to arrest them if you come across them and then they get extradited to a country where torture is legal thanks to the Patriot Act. Well, how do we know that people are, that are coming into Canada as, say, something like refugees are going to be model citizens just because they... But that's irrelevant. People choose their own destinies. If they commit crimes, then you prosecute them. You don't pre-prosecute them. You let them live their lives according... But we have Canadian values where mm. we don't justify torture at any, at any cost. So we won't extradite to a country who will commit torture, except mm-hmm. the U.S. You know, and then there's certain other fringe cases where they haven't classified it yet. Like Haiti wasn't classified a crisis yet, so they couldn't call Haitians refugee. Like the, those types of things in the system is what we should be looking to fix as activists. We're right. not just condemning people in certain situations and one thing at a time just to be nitpicky. This isn't an effort to just like, oh, look, I would have done this. I wouldn't have made this mistake. That's not what we're yeah, doing. I feel what like we're doing is we're pointing out the mistake, just like, we're pointing out the solution, and I we're saying even... systematically how to stop it from happening again. Mm-hmm. That's the but. So it's like, oh, we didn't let any refugees in, and I could say something like, good, uh, but like, that's what we have immigration for. Just stick them in the immigration queue, uh, like they're a refugee. But those people should be having this discussion. That's their job. Right. not now they're following a policy written by other people who aren't having this discussion right well in congress and the senate and parliament and those people so, are getting elected based on votes so all it is is a popularity contest they're not interested in forcing these higher orders of government to do their jobs right. that's the problem it's not this one extradition case it's the fact that this persists that's the problem right. the system on a whole but there's a whole bunch of other cases like it, not just extradition. Like, right, but it's like something like, oh, this is going to get me, like, shot. Well, well burkas are, um, you know. But no, not like burkas, but like you mentioned uh, Ukraine. Now, you, the, uh, they take, the Russians take Crimea and, uh, and that little bit of border. And you as the, uh, the government of your people... Are looking at it going like okay we have to condemn that obviously because that's you know we can't just have people doing that and then somebody in the back's like it's russia though are we willing to lose millions of people in a legitimate war over the ukraine russia has and been the guys like well they did discuss it they just didn't discuss it publicly well that's because they don't have to Right. Vetoed it right away. And if they didn't do it, China would veto it because China wouldn't want them to have the power to control it, an autocratic nation, right? So it's right. in their best interest to so maintain their power. Go to war anyway. China's a big tiger. Where does fix the problem? Diplomacy right. So, the, well, you're not going to fix diplomacy when they're just like, mine. mine, mine That's mine, the point. It? You're not going to fix it when they don't do their job. So our focus should be on how to make that system do its job. How but to how make you it get perform. the Russians to stop being... Like, how do you get Putin to stop being Putin? 
you don't have to you can wait it out that's the thing from a larger perspective when you think of the world as a whole and generations and generations to follow it's not about you fixing the world today so that tomorrow you get credit for it yeah well, establishing that, okay a yeah basis upon which everybody else events to tend to just naturally yeah. because it's better for the people it'll just yes. happen because that's what gravity is mm-hmm. everything like the reason technology is ubiquitous is because it's so cheap and easy to get silicon and to reproduce it. So even people who thought they'd never need technology like a rice farmer in Tibet, they've got, you know, weather maps. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> like knowing no. when a monsoon's coming or if it's coming is a good thing to know in Sudan. Or not Sudan, on the other side. What's on the other coast? I can't remember who relies on the monsoon, but one of those... <laughs> coastal African countries does. But anyway, the point is the system though. You got to like, you bring up instances to point out where there's a failure of a system, Mm -hmm. right? It's not just to sit there and like berate people for not doing a good job. It's, it's saying, why isn't this position fulfilling its purpose? Why is it still there? How do we, how do we make this more efficient, more effective? Let's include that's, when you step back from our system, it is doing that. It's just sloppy as hell because we're right. people. And but that's why we're happening. better off today than we used to is because that's sloppy, right. progressive change. And I think it would be disingenuous to say that it's not happening because, you know, that it's not happening the way we as an individual want it to happen or it's going in a weird way. Uh, or um, it might stop for a month or two because you know, something. Um, Or one step forward, two back, whatever. Yeah. And I think like, I do trust in the fact that, you know, progress is slowly happening, but I am also not willing to take my eye off of it. (laughs) But um, the, and that's the same thing with the government is we go to trust us. You know, it's like, trust them, but like, don't blindly trust it. The thing is, is that like, when we look at these gray areas, um, we see that there's, it is very, uh, it is very complex and to, and to, and we can hope. And I think that's the best we can do as individuals right now, that if we make the moral decision, it'll just end up. And I don't think there's really anything beyond that because, you know, once we die, the hope that got us to that position and pushed us forward um, doesn't really matter anymore for us because we're, we're dead. Um, but it allowed others to do that. So, um, the influence expands even I after you're done. Yeah. So I, I think, but at the same time, like, I don't need to know that, you know, people are going to be better off after I die. I can have hope that they will, because I won't be able to know. Um, now the other thing is that I can't have blind hope on that. Uh, I can't just assume that there will be some communist utopia and just, you know, work towards that. And, you know, because. Yeah, that's the that, point of this discussion is to not have a blind hope, though. That, right. That's the so, vision that we're talking about is f- fixing systems that we right. rely on. So if you trust the system and you're worried about this, the state of affairs, then you make sure that the system is constantly being upgraded and fixed and patched. Yeah. And if it stops, then you have a problem. And then you get a bunch of your buddies and you email bomb your MP with like, hey, what's going on? Uh, which probably is actually more useful than going on and marching because they pay, probably pay more attention to their email box. Yeah, and all the people around you would be the people who are most interested in fixing the problem. 
They would yeah. be like the scholars and you'd have a couple construction workers and people from all areas, you know. Now Congress is 100, well, not 100%. It's close yeah. to like 80 or 90% uh, university grads. And only yeah. one third of people in the country get university degrees. Well, who else is going to employ? This is a representative uh, democracy, but it's the exact opposite of representative. Who else is going to employ all those people with humanities degrees? Uh, <laughs> ooh, yeah, oh, that was... But, you know, you need common people making when you're talking about laws that affect common people. You need common people in the discussion. They, they don't have to dominate it or be exactly match word for word or ratio. Well, that's what they need to be there. Oh, excuse me. That's what the um, and I've been kind of thinking about this the last couple of days, uh, specifically for completely unrelated reasons, was um, the idea of a tribune. And I've been thinking about the Roman system quite a bit. Now, a tribune for those that don't haven't dived into Roman history go, it's a glorious story um, that the tribune's position was a sacred position. Whatever. There's, <laughs> there's always something in there. Um, You're such a geek historian. Oh, it was riveting. <laughs> there's parts of it that were riveting. I can't get into Cicero for some reason. I just can't. Um, and he's like people's favorite, but um, my favorite too. <laughs> yeah. I just, I've never been able to sit down and, look it's at the, the poet, conspiracy the poetics of oration he oh yeah like I, I respect the guy as yeah, yeah. kind of a it's like Churchill. anyway go on yeah you know what yeah but um at the same time uh they had this this thing called the tribune and they had 10 of them uh originally and they were the representatives of the plebs uh plebs being the workers essentially uh so the plebs are the, the poor people uh I don't really need to explain that, but the plebs would be talking through these guys. Um, and they had these, they had veto powers over anything the Senate would do. So if it hurt the plebs in any way, the, the tribunes would just be like, no. So it was in the best interest often for the senators to get the tribunes on the side of the, um, on, on an issue. So, which you know, led to like, corruption and stuff, right? It, it, well, uh, that's a different story. Actually, that's, that's actually a bit of a different story. But yes, uh, no, it well, they was would used preemptively. Uh, I'll let me get it. it up, knowing it, would yeah. Be... Let's just not say well, it was corrupted. I don't want to like instantly. No, I said that. eventually it was corrupted, as in like everything a... gets corrupted eventually. <laughs> so um, I don't really. Let's just forego cynicism for a second here, and. Um, these this was a sacred position so if you hurt them if you kill them they become um you're essentially bringing like bad juju onto your house and you get enemy of the state kind of thing yeah you are if you kill them not only are you hurting your family but the gods are going to do something really bad to um to the city and we can't have that so protect these uh and eventually they became they lost uh look up the the gracchi brothers um and essentially, they were calling for reforms in the bread dole, you know, the poor need more to eat, blah, blah. And they were really, really pushing it. And one of the Gracchi brothers was killed. And this kind of signaled to everybody that, hey, wait, we can kill people in our, in our political discourse. And this was still 100 years left in the Republic kind of stuff. Um, and it got significantly worse. So once you have this representative of the plebs of the unfortunate those without a voice 
silenced and the corruption then it becomes corrupt because once you can kill them then it becomes you know it's like oh wait we can do this so you know senators stabbing senators sulla you know going out and prescribing death to uh, you know all his enemies uh and it just fell apart and it became people started looking for a strong man now the uh, the other thing that was interesting about their system was the idea of consuls now part of what i don't like about the current system is that we have a single ruler over every nation, a prime minister, a president, a king, whatever. Um, and we look to them, it's like, oh, is Trump gonna fix this? Oh, what's Trudeau gonna do to fix this? What's Trudeau doing? Oh, I can't believe Trudeau did that. It's like, we have one person to point to. Um, yes, we, you know, air them out because uh, politicians start to smell after a while. Um, so, <laughs> We, you know, say, yeah, four years and you're done, or you have to, you know, try again. And I like the idea of the consul who, you know, they're elected every year and they're not allowed to run again for five years until the, it was corrupted and say, oh, no, I should be able to run again. Um, That's a big problem in Africa right now. They're changing the constitutions and getting new positions right, of power because like Xi Jinping and Putin did it well, successfully. Get strongmen in Africa a lot too. Nobody like, well, why not? <clears throat> why? <laughs> but the UN was supposed to oppose that. A working UN would have prevented that type yeah, of thing from Africa. happening. <laughs> We're talking about relative wise, rather than fixing an instance of corruption that'll eventually, right. warp, you know, iron itself out. We should be focusing on fixing established regulation that right. creates. So that. my, if I put my Kissinger hat on. Yeah, okay, I know what you're thinking. It's like, oh, Jesus, he's going here. Um, yeah, you're wanting to kill me. Uh, if I put my Kissinger hat, I, I'm not going to do the voice. I say something like, we gave up on Africa to avoid war with China. Now, he's kind of an appeasing China before, but... Uh, yeah, think, modern Kissinger would be different. Yeah, he's... I think I don't think modern Kissinger is very much different from old Kissinger, except for he's not as able to womanize quite as completely um but um the he's always been almost the one that understands china the most um and he kind of uh sees china as all all talk and no like he'll they'll shell an empty patch of uh island just to show off and they'll shell it for an entire month and just be like yeah we'll attack you come and get us and that's what the the their uh version of like we'll, we'll puff out our muscles and then everyone will be afraid to hit us meanwhile the rest of the world's like they're gonna hit us <laughs> so but they do it a they lot do it a lot because it's it their like mo and kissinger's like just just kind of roll with it and they'll just step down if you don't if you don't do anything but then everyone in the west is like no but then we keep giving up ground in then when we give up ground in Africa, then Africa becomes more partisan and it becomes more corrupt. The whole point is that the Africans have to be self-determining uh, with these outside influences. So the UN can't do anything if it's completely partisan. Um, and Right, but what it should be, like the prime ministers and presidents should be emblems. They should be avatars of the party. When people speak of the individual, they should be speaking of the party the group of people who are standing behind the prime minister. Right. That's essentially what our, 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 our founding principles are right. as a country. Now, I don't really, I kind of stand behind a bunch of them on different issues. 
um, which is what makes it so right. And it's expected that not everybody's going to agree with it, but we have a system of like parliament to discuss it and courts and a free press right. and we have freedom of speech and expression and like they're deeming um, basic needs like internet is now considered a, a necessity. What do they call it? A, a, a public good? It's a public good. I will not. Call we produce it more right. hydroelectric power, for instance, in Manitoba. We produce more than we need, so we sell it, right? And we get cheap electricity here in Winnipeg for everybody. It's affordable. Whereas in some places, people can't afford electricity. Namely, like the projects in the states, there are tons of people without power down there. Build fusion reactors. Or like I said, like eighty percent Uganda. But. What, what I wanted to get at, though, is like it's the way they go about politicking is wrong. That's, again, when you look at a, a, a low system, you might say like, oh, they shouldn't be rallying these people and like doing this this thing on camera. You shouldn't have said that or this scandal. That's yeah. not the problem. They're nitpicking. The problem is they're having ads that are meant like designed by psychology majors to manipulate people to believe what they believe in. They're hyping people up. They're making them angry. They're um, they're pressing their emotional sensors and trying to get clickbait out of it's news propaganda art. and ad hominem. That's all it is. Yeah, that, and that that's a systemic problem that we're not focusing on because we're pointing out individual articles, individual ads, individual people's campaigns. Mm-hmm. That's not the problem. The problem is that the system enables that, and right. not only enables it but rewards it. Like well, we, we should. Be, f- anybody interested in fixing that small problem should step back and look at the bigger problem and fix that. Right. Now, is that a lot of what happens um, over the course of history is a lot of, um, as kind of Matt Ridley put it when he's talking about genetics, uh, was uh, the Red Queen problem where um, we're always playing catch up as to technology, as to the things that are going on around us, as to even culture and stuff like that. And we're having to adapt. And generally, things have been adapting well uh, in the last 200 years. But um, recently, it's been a little odder than usual because we have had some strange new technologies in where we don't, where we're talking about the answers, but like it's going to be about, you know, it almost seems like it's going to be like 20 years of society's constant conversation to figure out what the right thing to do is. And What's twenty years and five hundred? Like, well, that's well, no, obviously, but that's what I'm saying. Um, the we should start though if we know well. We have to started. Start. We just do it as a matter of course. Like people just being like, like everyone talking, but like, what is this thing we're using on YouTube? Like, what, what, what is this? And we're all kind of arguing. And like we're talking, and this millions of conversations happening at once, and eventually, over time, a conclusion will come together, and everyone will be like, and someone will write something uh, where. You know, it'd be like, okay, this is kind of what I'm seeing. And one person doesn't just write something. They write something, they're they almost someone like all these guys that we've talked about, Locke and Mill, they've kind of aggregated a bunch of ideas that they are smart enough to put together in a mm-hmm. well, and, and they're well-spoken enough to put them together in a sensible manner. And present and, an opinion, like right. an objective opinion from one direction. And so we're building that right now. And we are doing a good job as a society because our society actively looks for that. Like we're like, Oh man, we need to. And so once the conversation kind of comes to a good conclusion, we'll start seeing works that everyone's like, yes, this, (laughs) 
this is what we were trying to say for the last 20 years. Finally, we figured it out. Now we have to discuss it more. And then we, but that's how it works. It's very slow. It's messy. And we got to kind of figure it out as it goes. And while we're doing that, we have to make the right decision. And I think, and I think making the right decision though, is based on the relative point of reference that you start from. It's based on the the maximum height from which you start looking at your problem. And I think we, we, it behooves it like, what would be best for everyone is if everybody stepped back one more level of abstraction before thinking about stuff for everything, right down to like how they raise their kids and whether or not they want to game the system for, for free parking across, like down the street during an event. Like every little way that you game the system with coupons and what you're doing is extracting benefit from yeah. society for personal gain that you can afford not to lose. Whereas some people live off of like food stamps and stuff. They could really, really use that extra food that you're getting, not you, but the person. Oh, yeah, definitely me because I game the system all the time. Like, yeah. And I, to, to me, if I can afford to pay full price for, for like a movie or a game that I really liked and spent a lot of you buy it because that's what you do. You show appreciation to the developers and the people who created it and you show the market that you want them to make more of it by paying a fair price. Yeah. Every time you get a discount on something, it's like less than the value to make it like Amazon does. You're creating garbage. Just guaranteed because people are buying it even though they don't need it. Yeah. And they're throwing out working stuff to replace it with because it looks nicer. That type of mentality needs to change. Well, see, I do that with parking. Like, it's just like, I'm not paying for parking. I'll put a little thing on my dashboard and be like, okay, run in, run out. But like, (laughs) if it's something like, uh, like if it's something Uh, like shoes. I'm not saying it's wrong because everybody does little things No, no, like we're always going to be negotiating with the system what we can get away with because like, well, it's not like I'm going to be putting my money towards something terrible. I'm like, when it comes to something like shoes, I'll be like, okay, what's not made with slave labor? That's a very hard question. Or what is high enough quality that- <laughs> What can... constitutes slave labor? Like knowing what you're defining even is really important. Is hard work slave labor? Like No, obviously not. Exactly. Slave labor is work by slaves. Like seriously. Exactly, but you have to define it. What's slavery? There's economic enslavement where somebody can't afford to rent except by their employer providing them a place no, to sleep and eat. That's not slavery. Slavery well, is indentured they servitude. They can't choose to go. Are they, are the is anywhere in the workflow, someone has a choice to leave their job? But they can't, they got nowhere to go. If they want their food and housing needs satisfied, they must stay at this employer at this particular spot with this particular furniture. Like they're not allowed to do anything else because without the job, they're dead in two days. That's yeah. coercion that defines slavery, but it's right. a different gradient of slavery. You know what I mean? It's not... It's not like cracking a whip and making them run around naked and you know what yeah. I mean? Well, there's slave labor. Slavery is slavery. Slave labor. I, like yeah, the sweatshops no. that make shoes. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not, you know exactly what I meant there. I so. do know what you mean, but I'm saying an important question for everybody is to step back one level of abstraction and actually define the things they're talking about and regulating. Because if shoes are made by a kid and child labor is slavery, that matters in, in, in your public policy. Your international right. dipl- diplomacy depends on your definition of slavery, basically. Right. So Nike and the guy down the street that makes his own shoes, like- 
But why didn't Nike make shoes in America? Because you couldn't hire kids for 35 cents an hour in America. That's the reason they didn't make shoes in America. It's not hidden. It's not abstract. It's very clear that they're exploiting the labor of a poorer country. But that poorer country is getting income from another source. That's money that wasn't circulating in their community before. It comes from outside in. That's way more stimulative to an economy than mm. not having it. So yeah, where do you define slavery? Podcast the whole... where slave do, slaves don't actually bring any uh, value to the economy. Um, well, yes, they do. Absolutely, they do. Well, they do, but they don't add very much as with... In not individually, but the owner, like the master benefits greatly from slave trade well obviously but the master is only one person when comparison to a yeah but those people are now in government like descendants like jefferson beauregard what's his name sessions his family were slave traders so (laughs) so he got into politics by being a super rich guy where did they get their money from family inheritance where'd that family inheritance come from so is he supposed to give it up i'm i'm kind of i i pretty i land pretty heavily on a uh, sins of the father is not your sins type of thing. Um, They're not, but they should be factored in. If somebody's going to be the, the the attorney general for the entire country, and they only got there because they could afford to pay for their position, mm-hmm. and they got that money strictly from the labor of slaves, like that's a that's not like a nebulous line of. It's a very straight projection from past transgression to present prosperity. And I would say, normally you wouldn't deny the rights of somebody to get a job. But in this particular case, given where it, what it took him to get there, it only cost him money. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like advertising for campaigns gets you elected. Getting elected gets you term positions. Term positions gets you in. And then he advocates against all the things that got his family rich. Well, then he'll... Yeah, not only that, but he's like ignoring things like Black Lives Matter and police brutality when he's Sorry, running the Justice Department. Like, this is, is this that Kavanaugh guy again? No, no. Um, Jeff Sessions was the attorney general. He had to recuse himself because he was part of Trump's crimes. Yeah, but that's <laughs> Jeff Sessions' crimes, not his father's crimes. But his money that got him into government, when you step back from a larger abstract point of view, it wasn't from productive development of things. He didn't invent Nike or something. All of his inherited wealth came from slave labor and exploitation of markets for which he was controlling. Right, but that's not his, under the law, like, if someone gives him that money, he's, we can't assume that he's going to uh, do evil with it. Just like if we let refugees in, we can't assume that because they're refugees, they're going to do uh, evil. Uh, So we have to, we can't just Build a system that's resilient to it, though. You, you don't dictate yes. case by case. You make a system that works well enough that you don't have to. Right. So we're just you supposed to get rid of terms. that value created by slaves? Well, I'm not saying he shouldn't have got the job where he's at. What I'm saying is there's a direct relation to it that's not even close. to. And before you start making policy decisions based on words, you have to define your words. What mm-hmm. is slavery? What is gain? What is profit? Right. What's personal benefit? What's corruption? What's a gift? What's a donation? Right. Like, some of these are self-evident, though. And like, rules, some of these we can take as red. Um, because a lot of... Now, my my problem with all this is that, yes, we can spend all our time defining terms. 
Um, but we can also spend all of our time defining terms. And we should, just, even if it takes a hundred years. Yes, but no, we have to at some point make an action because defining terms is not action in my experience. No, but once it's done, it, it leads to it's never, competent it, action. No, defining terms can never be done. And because uh, once you define your terms, you have to take them as read. And then knowing now we have to define our terms again because language has changed. Yeah, At some point you have to play it. with imprecise terms. But so, in, in the process though, there's a system that churns that out. And while right. that's happening, you can currently churn out the exacting of those decisions. Right. It is entirely possible. It'll never right. be perfectly current because individuals are different. But if the system works, you can just plug it into the system where it belongs. Mm -hmm. It is like international affairs or whatever, like um, internal police reporting, right? Uh, investigators? Yeah. What do yeah. they call those? Internal affairs. Internal affairs. Yeah. Okay. So when they're investigating a police misconduct report, you want them to be impartial. You want them to be two separate systems churning. One that enforces law, the police, yeah. and have that work with sergeants and generals and whatever. And then the watchers of the watchers. Yeah, and then you have a separate, in what we're not doing though, is we're breaking down the system actively, currently, with our votes and with our speech and the things we record and don't talk about on YouTube. Mm. Fixing the system is the problem. We're not fixing the system, we're just whining People are making noise about the instances of the system failing. We right. should be talking about why the system isn't working without us looking. Like now, it should just work. My thought to that is that um, that as an individual in society, some of us specialize for pointing it out. Some of us specialize for, you know, uh, you know, looking at individual stuff. Not all of us are going to be able to do the same. Uh, or even will want to do the same. No, but um, I expect it from watch. journalists. I oh, yes, journalists. From journalists. See, that's the thing. Journalists are that's what part I mean of those by people we. that are. Yeah. So journalists are those people. Uh, but we're destroying they, their 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 entire institution too. Like the reason why they're putting out clickbait and and you know spider. Well, we're, we're accepting Twitter as a val viable. Yeah, we're thing making that Zuckerberg super rich, and we're making the free press really poor. That's a systemic problem. Yeah, you know they're gonna act like Facebook just to try and stay alive and compete. Well, that's retarded. They're news. They're journalists. They're not exciting. It's supposed to be boring information. Impartial. Me, my first thought is that um, please, people, stop paying attention to people like that, and let those newspapers that do that die. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's again, I, I have no, like, I have sympathy for individuals. I do not have sympathy for companies. Right. If the company dies, you know, it's like, R.I.P. Yeah, like that's that's life. It wasn't an alive thing. Well, what about the people that are laid off? They have they'll experience working at that place. They can get new jobs. Like these yeah. are people. It's like, why did we bail out the 2008 guys? It's like, well, they, you know, it's, it's, it's these people, a bunch of people would have gone out of work. It's like they work in finance. If they can get those shitty jobs but or those again, crap jobs, they can get new ones. The numbers. They paid themselves bonuses out of that money. Yeah. From tax money to bonuses and then write-offs because it's income from, from stock options and shit, not like earned income. So they get less taxes and more money paid for by taxpayers. And then they walk away. Like that shouldn't even be possible in a functioning system. Every step of that chain should have broken that. 
And instead, Especially in a functioning capitalist system where let them die is part of their credo. But <laughs> it's worse though. They, they actually put them in charge of the treasury after that happened. Like the Goldman Sachs guy, Steve Mnuchin, who yeah. caused the financial crisis, like is running the treasury. That is insane. Absolutely bollocks insane. Like, and we're talking well, about race instead of that. that? <laughs> it's like, and race has become an issue instead of that. It's almost yeah. like that's, that's our that's what I mean. It just blows my mind when you could have been talking about this when Tupac was alive. And he just <laughs> chose not to. Ah, <laughs> like, uh, we were, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, um, and I fear that, see, my fear is that, um, like, we, we, we like to we go into the gray area to find, um, but I don't like to live there um, because it is a cynical and miserable place. But I Other go in there. enjoy it though. Yeah, there are people that enjoy it. It's like, uh, and I don't, <laughs> yes, you do. And sometimes I, I need to pull you out of it forcefully. I pick, I pick I've never. been pulling you out of it forcefully constantly. Uh, but the, um, the gray area in itself is... Um, like I'm not saying like live in the black or live in the white uh, or the red and the blue or whatever. Um, I'm saying pick your side as carefully as possible. Like you said, you know, wisely with along all the levels of abstraction, but don't live there because it's not a happy life sitting in the middle going like, um, nothing matters everything's relative because then you can justify anything from that position and morality stops meaning anything when you're sitting in the gray and it's functionally uh, irrational to be like that right and you so don't you get anything out of life by doing nothing now i've talked a lot with these agents of chaos that i keep mentioning now it sounds really cool but they're just people that go around and want to you know break shit and i remember being young and stupid and wanting to just break shit um, I but, remember paying restitution for breaking shit. <laughs> I was charged and I paid. My okay. Dues. I've never been charged, but I didn't really, I wasn't very successful at doing it. Um, like at all. I wasn't a very good um, hooligan, uh, <laughs> but uh, I found uh, other callings, I guess, but there are people that live there and there's no credo that, to be had there there's no position to take in the gray areas um and there's an infinite variety there's not just two sides uh and well, i think you say of somebody who's fluid who's in the gray area and just oh as well that's as the information is processed and as they experience life they just flow between the black we all move white. through it that's the thing we all move through it yeah some of us work there but i think we need to dip back <laughs> and forth Right. And the thing is, is that you have to come to a conclusion. I move through it and I go over here and I'll play with this. I'll play with another. So making a decision and coming to a conclusion are two different things, though. Yes. You can make a decision because you have to do something short term right now with the best of your knowledge. Just do it. Yes. But making a conclusion based on inaccurate or imperfect information is very treacherous. Like burn it down. <laughs> or go to war without congressional approval. Things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, oh, oh sorry. I think sorry. that I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I don't know what I was poking at there. Um, I, I think that that's when we were kind of trying to talk, trying not to talk past each other there is that that's what we were trying to. 
I was trying to add to what you were saying, just for for the record. Yeah, I was trying to show the juxtaposition as you spoke, like of mm-hmm. one side and this side, to yeah. point out the relative basis between the points. And that's why I think we were talking past each other instead of talking at each other. Because uh, I don't think we talk past each no, other. Past, I mean, like we're, we're 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 trying to get to each other, but then we're like, oh no, let's get back. And so it's not a bad thing. It's just like, oh, I kind of overshot that. I, <laughs> it's not. I a, don't feel we did that though. I don't oh, think no, we, we kept each no. other within arm's reach. This is why, <laughs> which is, I, why, I don't uh, think we're speaking enough. Um, we're putting enough emphasis, I should say on the, um, the capacity of like what we're capable of as human beings. I keep yes. saying like, because it's not common, because it's not today, you just assume it'll never happen or it's so far right. away. You assume like, not you, but I mean, the other side of this argument would have to assume that things are going to stay the way they are for a long time to not do anything about the systems in place. Right. And I thing is our systems could be fixed very quickly. Thanks to technology and communication devices that we never had before. So using history as an example for how long it takes to develop a country is immaterial in this case. Mm -hmm. I don't think it applies at all because it would so much to, and it would take constant maintenance. I just, I try to ride the line between abject cynicism, which I find distasteful, and pie-in-the-sky optimism, which I find to be irrational. And I, I, I find hope is a better place. Um, tentative optimism is what I kind of like to sit in. Um, because, yes, we can build a better society. And I feel like a lot of people are thinking taking say uh, an approach that is almost too cynical like oh well, nothing matters i don't even care everything's terrible everything's corrupt it's like or it's yes, too but, complicated i'll never understand yes yeah. or um it's like or they they take the overly optimistic one and be like well if we just burn it all down then we can just live happily in the ashes it's like wait what yeah. <laughs> or and then just, uh, just build another rickety ship that's even smaller or a uh, free market utopia it's like no, that's not quite right either. Um, but at this, or the, um, well, we talked a lot about that in the extremism episode. Eh? Yeah. Balance is always, or moderation is always the better. Yeah. But I think today's lesson is almost when you're in the gray area, don't just assume the worst, try like play for the best, prepare for the worst and give it some thought. <laughs> and I would say the focus is when you give it thought, think higher. There's yes. always a higher order of abstraction you can look at a problem from. And that's always the better place to start thinking about a problem solution. It's yeah, from it's the highest like, possible vantage point. You may not shoot for It's like if you, if you try for perfection, you're never going to reach perfection. But you're always like shooting for the stars. But you're from s- a trader's perspective, what you're, you're doing is... You're going to get higher than you would have had you, not sh- had you just shot for the roof. Uh, yeah. This I but think is you're, what you're you getting wanna, You want to work with momentum though. Oh, momentum is key. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who's actually succeeded at things in life, oh boy, you got to use momentum properly. <laughs> and as somebody who's had to struggle for every success, I can also concur. It definitely yeah. takes a lot of grease. How can I use this success? Takes a Where lot. do I go next? It's so easy to just... <laughs> and then, like, it's so easy to just be like, why don't I have a job? I, I succeeded. Now someone give me a job. It's like, no, keep pushing. Relative, what I'm saying, though, is relative to society and and the bigger questions, the momentum would be the, the the spirited activism, not just the hokey pokey doing it for myself, but like the people who are writing 
proposals to change government systems. Mm -hmm. Those people should be hailed and regaled. We should be venerating the people making noise for no reason just because they're distracting from actually fixing problems. And they're discouraging people from knowing how to properly fix problems by being so outspokenly ignorant, but not declaring their own ignorance, using it as a weapon to call other people stupid by calling them ignorant. That's not well, what the word means. It means that you're just absent of knowledge. It's I'm in my bedroom and my dog's outside, my dog shits somewhere. I'm ignorant of where my dog shit. That doesn't well, mean I'm stupid. The I moment they put started putting Che on a t-shirt, it became kitschy to be a referral. Yeah. <laughs> che Guevara <laughs> caused all of this. He's like the first meme, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, there were tons before him, but he's the one that went viral in like yeah. transcended time. <laughs> um, you know, I think we might actually be good to wrap up because I'm... Yeah, I think that's good. I was, uh, was kind of running out of gas before, but I, I tried to keep up. Well, if you want to um, take a break, we can come back and hash out some more of these. Or oh, I think I think that'll be good for today. Um, well, so, thank you so much for the spirited conversation. I always yeah. love the stimulation. Yeah, don't think that because we're at odds, uh, if you're watching this, that we uh, that we're heated conversation isn't the same as enmity. So, and challenge isn't the same thing as hardship. <laughs> yep, you can. St- uh, you just because you uh, disagree with someone in class doesn't mean you can't go drink beer at the pub after. So, and the only way to change the world is to speak. You have to have opinions and listen and speak. Yep. Anyway, relatively speaking, that was the most frivolous gravitas you're going to get from the channel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was the gravitas. Let's go and be frivolous. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>